Esoteric Nerd Podcast. <clears throat> Episode 130, in which Joe Zabinski and I discuss the Arbitel of Magic, the Olympic Planetary Spirits, and Geomancy. But first, you might know of Carl Jung's Red Book, also known as Liber Novus. You might know how to construct your own Liber Novus using active imagination to discover your own personal mythology. But did you know of Carl Jung's Black Books, which chronicle the sometimes awkward and roundabout process by which he uh, derived his philosophy, his point of view, uh, Jungian thought and Jungian psychotherapy in the form of the Red Book, which was unpublished until, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, and then the Black Books came around. Maybe that was published 20 years ago, and this was published, I don't know, 14 years ago. It's not like new or anything, but uh, if you're interested enough and uh, for some reason you would like to watch me read from these and free associate and share personal anecdotes and go off on tangents and all that good kind of stuff, then uh, feel free to click here, maybe later, maybe after this episode or whatever order you want to do things in and check out. They're basically a half hour, about a half hour per episode of me reading from the black books. All right, enough about that. So um, there was a, a YouTuber who was watching my uh, VH Fratter BT channel and asked if I had any videos about the Arbitel because I had pointed him to a couple of... Uh, hi, by the way, if you're watching, Rishikesh 1086, 10 something. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I decided to look into it and contact Joe and we realized that, uh, you know, this is a very interesting document that's kind of in the background in one of the practicus teachings of a traditional Golden Dawn Order and some people surely have dove into it and uh, we just kind of each dove into it and, uh, and then decided to have a conversation about it. And you might notice I'm in a different location in the interview, which I'll explain at one point in the interview. And so, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? Good, good. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll skip the part where we try to figure out how many months it's been. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't time really doesn't matter. Exist though, here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're in this timeless space. I mean, yeah, exactly. And we're in, we're in like almost constant communication. So that's true. Yeah. So you're in Kansas. I'm in Kansas. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. It's 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 really interesting because it's um, 
everything is like super similar to where I came from, mm. but not quite the same, you know, right. Like, even down to like, like people I see, like people I see at church, they, they have the same physical build as the people, as the people that, uh, that I just left back in New England. Interesting. Um, yeah. Like, like the, uh, and the people of the same age groups, they're wearing the same clothes, like the same clothes, like they bought wow. the same boots and they bought the same shirt and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. What's funny is yeah. so when I walk around here in Delhi and I'm wearing like an ohm on my shirt and I see an Indian guy wearing Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, yin and yang. Yeah. <laughs> Would it be weird if you wore a Captain America shirt? I don't know. I mean, it might be a little over I mean, it, the top. <laughs> it would be weird to me because you don't strike me as like a Captain America sort of guy. You know, it would like, be ironic. Like Captain America fan, right? Yeah, yeah. It would be <laughs> ironic. Like like uh, when I wore the uh, the Jack Parsons shirt and like had my hair down and looked all cool and like. I don't I don't think people understood I was being ironic. <laughs> like imagine if I was the sort of guy who'd wear a shirt like this and look all cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean like like irony irony so often just crosses into like whatever it is that you're being ironic yeah. about. Right. You know? <laughs> and like if you're ironic about something for more than a couple hours, like you just start to become that thing and then yeah. yeah and then sometimes yeah. it's like sedimentary layers like as if i was the sort of person who'd be ironic about that wait <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i wonder if we're all in this like giant sleep of like of ironic sediment you know what i mean <laughs> yeah like we're gonna realize one day wait a second we're not even from this planet i was making fun of the people that were here i'll never do that again you know what would be ironic is if we did a serious deep dive into the Arbitel. That would be a little <laughs> ironic. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a little ironic. So, so um, do you want to, do you, do you, would you like to introduce today's topic? Sure. Um, okay. I, first of all, I'd like to thank YouTube user Rishikesh1086, I think. Hi, if you're watching. This one's for you. No, well, you know, thank you for the topic suggestion. Because um, actually, I was, I after that last one, Hindu Golden Dawn, I was like, I'm out. I, I, I think I've, I've done everything. I don't have any new ideas. I don't really want to go chasing after. I'm not a very good podcast, you know, host. I, I don't want to go chasing after, like, occult authors or reading new occult books or old ones but uh but yeah so he had suggested he's he he's a fan of the uh there's a youtube channel called vh fretter bt's or vh fretter bt where i post my old i went through that phase in 2016 and 2017 where i was live streaming my rituals from the sanctuary of hermes tris majestus aka the room beside my bedroom back at the old house in los angeles and uh, so i took all those old uh the videos and put them on that YouTube channel. And so he watches those. And, uh, you know, we've corresponded a bit just on the YouTube comment thread. And he asked me if I had any, because I told him about Esoteric Nerd and referred him to a couple of episodes. 
on Esoteric Nerd and he asked if I had any episodes about the Arbitel. And I'm like, that's that rings a bell. That sounds familiar. So I Googled it and it said something about being a Renaissance era, medieval era grimoire. And I was like, you know, I think Joe would probably know about this. And so I asked you about it and you were like, oh, that, that yeah, that rings a bell, you know? And so then we both <laughs> dove in and then came to realize, well, yeah, in the practicus of the Golden Dawn, um, there's the uh, Olympic spirits given and it mentions in the, in the description of the Olympic spirits that these come from the Arbitel. Uh, or the, I think the full title is the Arbitel of Magic or something like that, right? Uh, hang on. I actually have it open right here on oh, my good. computer. Yeah, because <laughs> um, I thought I thought the uh, I thought the title was really interesting too. Uh, it has a longer title too, kind of rambling title on the first page. Right, right. So, so the I mean, the thing that both of us read anyway was it was called "Of the Magic of the Ancients: The Greatest Study of Wisdom." Right. Um, and then the, the longer title was Arbitel of Magic, or right. the spiritual wisdom of the ancients, as well wise men of the people of God, as magi of the Gentiles, for yes. the illustration of the glory of God and his love of mankind. Yes. So, we uh, so, so we decided to both read it and uh, analyze it and then meet and have this conversation that we're having right now. Whoa, it's so meta. It all came full circle to this very moment. And here we are. Here we are. So uh, what were your first, I, re I mean, I remember obviously, but they don't, the people watching that are oh, us. Yeah. So what mm. were your first impressions on reading it? Um, my, so, I think I think my first impression on reading it was that it was um, it was strangely disjointed, uh, mm. and actually my very first my very first impression of it was where's all the stuff about the Olympic spirits? Mm. I mean, it is there. It is in an aphorism, and it does it does describe them, and it gives information about princes and stuff like that. But then it just it just moves on. So there's like a paragraph or two about the Olympic spirits, but then it doesn't seem to actually be about Olympic spirits. Right, right. Yeah, that was my, yeah, that was my first impression. What was your first impression? Well, um, I, I took it a little bit at a time. I was, uh, I did a, uh, a very silly thing. I did a, um, a, a video series on another channel called Chicken Philosophy where I mm. read it and just like, it's very, it's very disorganized. It's very long. It's where I read the uh, Carl Jung's black books. So it's these half hour long episodes where I read a bit. And then I'm like, sometimes I tell personal anecdotes or crack jokes or am generally disrespectful of what I'm reading and myself and God and you know, everything. And so it's not for everybody. Uh, but anyway, so so I was like on the I was on page twelve, and then and then you had told me your impressions of, on reading the whole thing, so then that mm -hmm. kind of that kind of informed how I looked at it uh, from there, and I, I I wasn't even realizing that it had anything to do with the Olympic spirits until it got to the Olympic spirits, um, but yeah, we had talked about how 
I, I mean, you you had said something to the effect of that it basically is saying, be I mean, be a good person, but in in fifteen hundreds language, be a pious person, do everything yep. in the name of the Trinity and and so forth. Be a good Christian, do everything good Christians are supposed to do, and uh, and then the spirits will obey your commands. But it doesn't mm -hmm. say like how to invoke them or why to invoke you know or if, i mean it's it says why but you know like in, in different ways to invoke them i mean it it says different reasons to invoke them but not methodology um right yeah i have a thing to say about that but please yeah go yeah, on. yeah oh oh uh well yeah just that and then that triggered me to re recall how um one thing that i've mentioned it on esoteric nerd before was uh my dad, who was something of an occultist, uh, briefly was possessed by a demon in like 1976 or 77. And uh, the, the story of that event and how horrifying it was prompted me as a 10 year old to say, Mom, I want to be baptized because I want God to know I'm on his side in the war between heaven and hell. Um, but don't tell dad that I'm getting baptized. And so I got baptized in a Lutheran church. And then, so that kind of informed my path going into the occult. I wasn't always on the straight and narrow, but, uh, you know, sometimes anger or whatever would get the better of me and I would uh, act out in a magical way, but then I'd feel guilty about it for years. Um, but when I took the neophyte oath as a 16-year-old, um, I took it very seriously. I will not do evil magic. I will only use my magic for uh, good end alone and for the divine and, you know, and all this and, and the way they taught about how the outer order, you're basically getting to know your higher self, you're, you're purging things out. You learn some methods, but you don't really get into real magic until the second order when you've already been united with your higher genius, basically, it's formulaically and, you know, symbolically anyway through the mm -hmm. initiations. And uh, so I took that all very seriously as a teenager before I was, you know, cynical and jaded and, and, and sort of beaten down by the politics and the personalities of the particular group and the, and their human flaws. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so I felt like, well, the Arbitel is definitely in line with that younger Edward that uh, wanted to be a magician of light for Jesus, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, but but not in like a nerdy, uncool way, you know, like I'd wore a <laughs> wore a pentagram on my ring and you know this kind of thing. So I was sort of in an odd place in between, you know. I'd hang out with the Wiccans and they'd be like, "Yeah, fuck Christianity," and I'd be like, "Hmm, well, I wouldn't say fuck Christianity," but then go hang out with the church people and they'd be like, "Magic is the devil," and I'd be like. You know, so there was a sort of in a no man's land in there, but like the whole Golden Dawn order that we came from was right there in that no man's land. So mm. it's no, mm -hmm. no wonder that mm -hmm. I became such a devotee of that group, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so so I had a lot of personal reflection off of it, uh, just from the first impression and uh, from your description of your first impression. Uh, so what were you going to say? Oh, uh, hang on a second. I got to get to it. Yeah. So basically, I mean, yeah, I agree that that basically it's, um, oh yeah, I originally had called it like an anti grimoire, right? Oh, right. Like yeah, yeah. Like it's it's not like usually with grimoires. I mean, it's it's supposed to be like you know a um, 
a magical technical manual, right? Where it tells you, it tells you, okay, you're going to make this circle and you have to have all of these things around and you need right. precise timing. Yeah. And you go to the crossroads, burn seven candles. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and like, like, like piety in a very specific way to get mm. to where you want to go. Right. Mm-hmm. But with, with this, it's much, it's, it's almost, it's almost going against that or, or it's, it's turning, it's, it's turning the pendulum the other way where it's saying, well, uh, it's saying like, like knowledge or what it calls secrets are, um, are contained in God, right? Just like the rest of existence and all of your thoughts and actions. And so if you want, if you need those secrets, then go to God who has, who has access to everything. Right. Right. Um, and as such it's, but, but it, it like kind of throws the hammer down. Right. And it's like, and it's like you, if you're really looking, if you're really looking for this, then you need a genuine source. And it's almost humble because it's like, I'm not, I don't, I can't give you the source that you need. Only God can. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it says, it, it says that like a little bit in, in a separate place, right. Where it says that magicians are born from the womb. Right. Where basically it's like, you're either fated to be a magician or you aren't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's right. Ra- so that paragraph actually starts off like pretty fatalistically. And then, but then right. it says, nevertheless, through diligent study and labor, sure. You can, you can gain something. You, you know, can become a second tier magician. You, you just can become never, a second tier magician. You'll never attain the level of someone who's born a magician. Right. Yeah. And that's like, it's sort of a cop out, right? Because it's like, it's like, well, magicians are born from the womb, right? But Metachlorians or something. <laughs> if you try hard enough, maybe you can approach something, right? But it's right. not actually saying like, like what these master magicians born from the womb are supposed to be able to do like separate from these second tier magicians right right so right. like somebody reading this would be like well i don't know if i was born a magician from the womb. so through diligent study and labor i'm going to try to like maybe approach maybe approach what that is right and those people yeah. might become like truly great magicians in and of themselves right yeah but always see themselves as well i wasn't born from the womb this way so i which not. might be a good thing because it'll keep them humble yeah so at yeah. least there's that if they're following mm-hmm. this this as like a, a scripture like as a um oh shoot i was gonna say something um yeah yeah it said that if you are calling on these spirits and they're doing your bidding know that you are an ordained magician and be grateful don't be ungrateful oh yeah and uh, yeah. so that was an interesting thing. Like you've crossed over at that point. Once mm-hmm. once you're invoking spirits and they are actually listening to you, that means mm-hmm. you're a magician. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So on my on the first reading, I was like, this thing is just sort of it's just sort of disjointed, and I don't really understand it yet. The second reading, I was like, oh, I'm starting to understand this now. And then and then after after our our conversations in preparation for this podcast, I did a third reading. And with the third reading, I was like, I'm starting to understand, especially because I, 
So I watched one of your chicken philosophy things. Just like <laughs> right? Which one? I, I think it was the first one. We're okay, like you're okay. going up an escalator and you're reading it while you're going oh, up the escalator. Uh, that was the third one, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I so I watched like part of that one, but I realized that like when you're reading it, there's a certain like tenor to your voice. There's like this sonorous quality to it. Mm. And I was like, I was like, you could probably treat the Arbitel as a form of scripture, right? Mm. Like you yeah. could, so, so like, just, just like, I don't know if you've ever been to like, well, you probably had, like been to daily mass before. Mm. Where not, like, you're not just daily, like, showing, but I used to go. Oh, okay. Before, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you ever go to daily mass, it's like, it's like, you just show up. It's, it's a different, it's a totally different beast than weekly mass. Right. right? Because with like Vespers mass, like, and yeah. So, so with weekly mass, like you're showing up and they have this whole to do, right. And you like, there's the kiss of peace. And then, and then like, and then like you, you receive the Eucharist and there's probably going to be like coffee and donuts after, right. It's a whole thing, right. Wine at the one I went to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. In the so morning. Da- yeah. <laughs> Go home yeah. drunk at noon. Yeah. Great. It's- <laughs> it was a uh, so- Russian, Russian Orthodox Catholic. So it was like, looks like a Russian Orthodox, but it's actually reporting to the Vatican, sort of a, a trans thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I became um, ca- officially Catholic. <laughs> anyway, with Daily yeah, yeah, Mass, yeah. Yeah. Um, with, with Daily Mass, it's different because they don't have, like, they don't have time to do the whole, like, thing from, like, shaking people's hands to coffee and donuts. Right. So they they'll have like 15 or it's like a 20, 25 minute mass. Mm. Right. And it just like it just like covers all it just covers everything that they need to cover. And then it's over. Um, mm. And during those masses, a lot of the time churches will like talk about like just like the saint of the day. Right. Or they'll talk about or they'll talk about like like just some piece of scripture that the priest happened to see mm. and what he thinks about it. And it's usually like a five right. minute lecture. Right. What it occurred to me was that your reading of the Arbitel was a lot like that, mm. where mm. it's like it's like it's written, especially with Robert Kerner's translation, like it's written in this sort of sonorous way, right? Mm. Where like five, 10, 15 minutes a day, a group of people could just listen to somebody read. Right. Yeah, it's like written in Kajev, the King James version of English. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Same time period, too. I mean, it was translated 1655. I think the original was published in Switzerland in Latin in 1575. And then it was translated yeah, in like that. 1655 into English. Right. So and the cool thing the about Shakespearean it. Shakespearean quality. Yeah. Yep. Yep. One of the one of the cool things about the Arbitel is that it's it it. I don't know if it, I don't think it explicitly dates itself, but it refers to contemporary literature. Mm. And it's like the first, it's the first time that I've seen, I mean, it, there could be other grimoires that do this that I don't know about. Actually, I think there are like, like later ones, like in the 19th century. Um, but it's the first one from this period, from 16th century stuff that I've seen that, that talk, that refers to 16th century authors. Right. It's like not trying to make itself seem older than it is. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yep. It's being mm-hmm. kind of honest. 
Um, so, I mean, okay, the big reveal that uh, the thing that I figured out yesterday or maybe the day before, I forget, mm. and then shared it with you and I analyzed the heck out of it and it, uh, you know, but might as well, might as well bring this out early and then we can continue on various levels talking about it, is that now for those of you in Golden Dawn or Thalema, hi, um, yeah, they, they, they like Esoteric Nerd too, generally, but anyway, um, so, so you guys will be familiar with the Path of the Flaming Sword Order of the Planets. In other words, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, uh, uh, Sun, Venus, Mercury, and Luna. If you're tracing the path of the flaming sword and you arrive at Chesed, corresponding with Jupiter, then you arrive at Gibora, corresponding with Mars, and so on. So it's the path of the flaming sword uh, sequence of the, of the listing out of the planets. That is how the, uh, the, the spirits are named, how they're, the, the order in which they're given. And that is that is all throughout the Arbitel because it's seven septenaries with seven aphorisms each. So they're sort of like chapters and verses, seven chapters, each with seven verses. And each verse starts with Saturn, then Jupiter, then Mars, then Sun, then Venus, then Mercury, then Luna. And each chapter, the first chapter is Saturn, the second chapter is Jupiter, and so it's sort of like subtatwas, but with planets instead of elements. So you, you end up, you start with Saturn of Saturn, then Jupiter of Saturn, Mars of Saturn, and you work your way through all the, the 49 permutations of planets within planets until you arrive at the very last uh, aphorism in the, the final septenary, which would end with Luna of Luna. And there are at least like six different times when uh, a group of seven things will be listed out in one of the aphorisms. And those are all uh, corresponded the same way. And I went through and maybe, you know, I can give some examples. I've got it all got all my notes right here in my little blue book. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's consistent all throughout. For example, every time you get to the one that corresponds with Venus, you know, 99% of the time, the, the keyword is desire. And, uh, and mind is uh, used often in Luna in the context of like delusion and, and dealing with that or sharpening the mind and being philosophical in the case of things that correspond with Mercury. Secrets are always a big emphasis in anything to do with Saturn. Everything is about fatherly in uh, the ones with Jupiter. One, one particularly interesting one was the Mars of Jupiter. So the Jupiter septenary Mars aphorism is all about how God is a loving father who threatens you with punishment for your own good. That's like very Mars of Jupiter. You can't really get much more Mars of Jupiter than that. So mm -hmm. that was an interesting find that helped kind of like shed light on the whole thing and the whole thing kind of lit up and was no longer disjointed after mm -hmm. that. And it made sense. Like, why yeah. is it saying this? Oh, because it's Luna of Venus. Oh, of course. Right, you know. right. After you told me that, I that's, that's when I did the third reading. Mm -hmm. And with the third reading, like things things clicked in like a couple different ways, right? So so the, the first way is that if you read the title, it says an Arbitel of Magic, 
right? Implying that it is so in, implying that you could have an arbitel of anything, and this happens to be about magic. Mm -hmm. um, and I suspect that I suspect that that's tied in with your discovery that that it's it's you know it's like it's like level after level um, of sevenfold things, right? Mm -hmm. And I suspect that Arbitel probably means something akin to a, you know, a sevenfold exposition, mm. right? And it just happens to be like a sevenfold exposition of magic. That's just a wild guess, though. Um, the, the thing that stuck out to me when I read it was that the martial aphorisms are the ones that's, that, that describe, like, this is, they're the ones that get deeply into spirits themselves, mm. right? hierarchies like military I, hierarchies yeah. right yeah. right right the um how the big other, are the armies of each one <laughs> right yeah the other aphorisms like they're concerned about everything around that right like mm -hmm. like like the, the 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 theology the piety the um the 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 management of the mind like all of these all of these different things that are built around the um the magical workings that it alludes to so that was the first thing that stuck out was once you said that it was like oh look there's like sevenfold all over the place and and, yeah. and specific planets are so are talking about specific things right hmm. and then the other thing that's that that made it make like way more sense is um i don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you've ever like if you've ever tried to scry with hierarchical sort of spirits, right? So like, um, you know, so uh, a big one that comes to mind for like, for like Golden Dawn Adepts is we'll start to scry things that are on the, um, the Enochian um, squares, right? right? And it's like, those are like super hierarchical, right? Mm -hmm. And those, those spirits like, their their realm their like jurisdiction or like their realm of expertise is narrower and narrower like the mm. further down the hierarchy you go right mm. and the things that they have to say are going to be generally related to things that other spirits say right but it's it's limited to their jurisdiction and it's harder and harder to relate to relate what hierarchical spirits have to say like the scryer has to be the one who's like who has all the skill to say okay we need you know we need to ask this spirit about this particular thing and when they go off on a tangent about something or other then um we need to rein it back to what this other spirit was saying before so the scryer also acts as like the organizer of spirit communications and when a spirit goes off on a tangent you got to rein it, you, you got to like guide, try to guide it back to like relevant information. Right. Mm -hmm. When I read the Arbitel, what it looks like is that sort of thing where like somebody was scrying subplanets of planets, right? And they were picking up on, and, and like, like each, with each one, it was like they were speaking to like a different angel, right? And that different angel just happened to have things to say. And so they wrote down what it had to say. And I think mm. I get the feeling that the reason why it's so disjointed is because is because like it's just hard to relate a lot of 
to relate this stuff together, right? But that gives you, that gives Adepti a, a way forward, really, because the, um, if you're curious about any one aphorism, perhaps you can try to find a spirit who is interested in that particular hierarchy or is involved in that particular hierarchy and try to get more information. So although the Olympic spirits only show up in like, I think one aphorism or maybe two, like perhaps Adepti could go back to those could go back to the spirits involved in those and further elaborate the topic. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What a trip. I mean, it was, it was, and one thing that was kind of fun about uh, a lot of it is how it says, you know, if you want to be an evil magician, go for it. You know, it's a oh, yeah. country, you know, um, you'll be punished, you know, uh, terrible yeah. things will happen to you. you you'll get to enjoy riches you'll get to mm. enjoy sensual pleasure it's you know temporary of course that's the nature of uh corporeal things and then you'll you'll uh you know be condemned to hellfire go for it have fun you know it wasn't <laughs> like saying don't do it you know it was saying yeah if that's what you want go for it but then it was advising that's the way you're built then yeah knock yourself out wasn't that that was right. the, the venusian septenary wasn't it oh yeah especially that one yeah 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 and uh like, and then, have a great time man yeah yeah and whatever it is that you desire uh choose the the olympic spirit that corresponds with the nature of the thing desired and that's the one you want to talk to you know and mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so that that was that was a fun aspect to it but i mean it was very much it was almost like sarcastic you know like uh yeah it seemed seemed like it but it was actually saying well no you 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 have free will you can choose these are the choices if you want the best way it's this you know so then it would break down and I, at first i was like what do they mean mean magician like mean girls you know but i think they mean like uh like middle of the road so there was like yeah the greatest the greatest uh magic the mean magic and then the lesser magic and mm -hmm. then there was like then there's like evil magic which is like i think kind of overlaps a little with lesser magic um maybe uh or maybe not but let me just give uh like one example uh where on one of those tables it talks about the three kinds of magic um yeah, so you can use, uh, forgive me, I, I don't, sometimes I, I've, I, I memorized all their names for my practicus test in 1996, but uh, <laughs> or here I just have the planet symbol, you know, so for the Saturn, Ara, Aratron, was that Arathor? Uh, that's, I think that's the way that they describe it in the yeah, artist, yeah. Aratron. Uh, right, uh, the greatest... Uh, magic or the greatest secrets you can get from from him or it or him, her I don't they um, is cure you, you can cure anything in seven days and then the mean magic level is the transmutation of metals and the lesser magic level is money yeah you know, riches uh, diligence and money and then for Jupiter longevity is the greatest one so it's good I mean it seems like well, that's that's of the corp, the, the body, but it's a long life. It's okay. You can ask for that, and without offending God. I think they were they were saying that 
Right. Yeah. The, the, the magician of pure heart and good intent who does everything for Jesus can ask this spirit for longevity and it won't offend God. Um, and then the mean magic is you can cure things with metals and stones and crystals and stuff. And then the lesser magic is like you can uh, elevate your station from lower class to upper class. You can like marry rich. You can trick someone into like and so so that you can, you know, start a family that's in a in a higher class than than you were born into and things like that. I mean, they, they, you know, I'll let people discover it on their own. It's free to find on uh, the Internet. You can just search for Arbitel PDF and you get the whole thing. And, you know, with the keys that we've given with the seven planets and all you can have an interesting. It, it's a lot less boring, I, I have to say, without without looking at it through the lens of every verse having to do with a planet within a planet. It's just kind of like okay yeah more more of this you know but then if you're yeah. looking at it it's okay well what do they have to say mercury of venus hmm. oh oh hmm. that makes sense you know even mm -hmm. though it's all kind of a, a theme all kind of circling around the same the same thing which is like be good <laughs> be a good boy you know be be humble and uh grateful and do everything you know pray always um you know all these and then there's the seven scriptures and that's interesting because those also correspond to the seven planets and so in my theory of um in my theory of of how maybe this was taken from a series of scrying sessions right, right. Uh, I, I i surmise that they were speaking to angels every step of the way mm. which is why it's both as um it's both as diverse and disjointed as it is, but then also why it's so concerned with virtues, right? right. And it's so con and it's so concerned with alignment. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Like that's I mean that's the, the story of the Arbitel is the story of of like lawful making good, sure right? that you're aligned properly. <laughs> like don't don't screw around with alignment. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, oh yeah okay. There was one, there's a couple passages that I like wanted to highlight a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, um, and they're like, to me, well, the first one is key. And then the second one is just kind of cool. Um, so this first one is, is sort of like key to understanding the Arbitel. It says, even as everyone governeth himself, so he allureth unto himself spirits of his nature and condition. Right, 46, right? Yeah, 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 but yeah. one very truly adviseth that no man should carry himself beyond his own calling, lest that he draw unto himself some malignant spirit from the uttermost parts of the earth, by whom either he shall be infatuated and deceived, or brought to final destruction. Mm, mm. Um, so, so the but the idea is you allure to yourself spirits of your nature and condition right yeah and so and and that that theme is like everywhere in there i mean from like page page one down so yeah in in page one there's a relevant proverb that basically that kind of says the same thing and, and then, well beyond the arbitel that that uh piece of advice like if you're if you cultivate anger if in yourself if you're an angry person 
you know, someone at work just gets on your nerves and, you know, uh, and someone on the freeway, then angry spirits will be drawn to you, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and same with lust, same with, and even, I mean, you know, in Buddhism, they would talk about hungry ghosts. I don't know how much of the, an overlap there would be. Like, uh, they, they crave what they're missing, what they're addicted to. Let's just say heroin, mm -hmm. just to make it simple. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody agrees heroin's a bad addiction. If I say lust, people will say, well, now lust is holy, you know, like, uh, but so, you know, in the Christian 19, in the 1500s, it wasn't, but you know, anyway. So, so, so if you're um, addicted to heroin, then ghosts that were in their life addicted to heroin are going to start hanging around you and try to get as close to you as possible so that maybe they can just get a little taste of the feeling that you get when you shoot up or whatever however you're mm -hmm. ministering it and um and so that 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 goes with any vice and virtue so so if you're the sort of person who is altruistic and you know do do good for others then the angels will notice and be like hey let's hang around joe bob there you know because mm, we can mm -hmm. we can do good alongside him and we can help him do good and thus we're doing good while he's doing good and we're all doing good and um and and so yeah that seems to be kind of the essence of what 46 is talking about but if you're the sort of person who actually is just lusting and uh, and and taking drugs or something but then you want to invoke an angel that will give you higher divine wisdom that you'll have the truest wisdom of enlightenment and then you'll be able to fool people on instagram into giving you their money then you're probably not going to invoke an actual wise spirit uh from from the the higher realms it's probably more likely that it's going to be some kind of trickster spirit you know, or, or something, you know, pretending, or you won't get anything at all. So Maybe, that's, a super, that's a super interesting, um, that's a super interesting way of going about it, right? And it, it extends a lot into just a general way that magicians are in the world, right? Because, um, because like if you notice if you notice that in your life you're missing a particular thing then you can become of the nature and condition of that of the virtue associated with that thing right mm -hmm. and then you and then the idea is that you attract spirits that are interested in those things which right it goes back to it it goes back to that principle of um this is like one of the first principles I ever learned as an adept. I think it was probably the first one because I went to this whole lecture on it within 24 hours of becoming an adept. Mm. It was um, it was the principle of residency, mm. where you are res where wherever whatever your condition is. Well, it, it extends up to all kinds. Wherever of your treasure is, there will you find your heart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the. Um, the, but one of the ideas is whatever your condition is, those are the spirits that you're dealing with. Mm. You know what I mean? Those are the those are the things that, that you're working with at the time. Yeah. Um, resident, but residency also goes it it goes very far, right? Like the like like if you because it goes both ways. Like like whatever your condition is, that those are the spirits that you are resident with, right? Mm. But then at the same time, if you want to be resident at, if, if you want to be resident with other spirits, 
then you need to change your conditions so that you can be resident with them. Right. Yeah. And, and it I even goes, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say that in Golden Dawn, the way that some of these things are approached, and that reminds me, we haven't even started talking about geomancy yet, but, um, but yeah, the way that at least, I mean, there isn't much in the Golden Dawn uh, materials proper about how to invoke the Olympic spirits. It just says, don't do it. It says, you know, approach with caution, better just stay away from this, but here they are. Good luck next page, you know? And so, but yeah. there is, there is a systemic way to, and I think maybe in the context of geomancy, uh, they, they're, they're approached the same way as the, I want to call them regular planetary spirits. I don't know what else to call them. Uh, the ones that fall directly into the hierarchy of divine oh, archangel, so. angel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, intelligence and spirit. Uh, so like Ketabel or or Sorath. Um, mm -hmm. And then those are on one hand and then the Olympic spirits are different. Um, but yeah, so if somebody is wanting to, and this is, I mean, obviously there's like Golden Dawn adjacent paths and paths that sprung off of Golden Dawn like Thalema where this advice might ring not good or, or, or you know, uh, wimpy or something or someone posted a, a little baby's milk bottle on one of my uh, ritual videos where i was doing the sirp or something but anyway um yeah oh this is for babies it's like okay whatever you know <laughs> but anyway um what was my point my point is that you don't go directly to the spirit if you if you are a venusian oriented person and you want to be a mercurial oriented person or more likely, if you're in the Golden Dawn Order, you're probably a mercurial person who wants to be more Venusian <laughs> or, yeah. or wants to be more Martian or wants to be more something like that. Um, then, yeah, you start with vibrating. You will, let's say you want to be more, more of the nature of Jupiter. Uh, and then you start, so you start with vibrating L and, uh, or Allah, if you're into it, if it, you know, depending on your accent. No, I'm just kidding. Not kidding at all, but anyway, no. Uh, so you start with you start with L, and then you know move on to Zodkiel, and you start communing with Zodkiel. Try to get a clear connection with Zodkiel, and then once you once you feel like you have gotten to know Zodkiel, then start working with Hashmalu, and then gradually work your way to uh, working with the angel, planetary angel mm -hmm. of Jupiter the intelligence and make sure that you've got a clear connection with the intelligence. And then once you've got a clear connection with the intelligence, then for the first time, utter the name of the, uh, of the spirit aloud. I mean, you know, if you're being really careful and kosher about it, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, the, and uh, something similar would probably go with the Olympic spirits. Um, so that's what I'd say. I mean, rather than like, well, okay, if this is my nature, then I'm just fucked. I shouldn't invoke anything but things of my own nature. No, no, no. You just gradually make yourself a worthy vessel, you know, gradually make yourself a better uh, uh, magician for the sake of calling on the spirit that you want to call on, um, is what I'd say. Um, and the whole idea of the Golden Dawn system is to get you to the point where you can stand in the column as at one with Yeshua and kind of get in touch with the center of the center of the center so that you can unfold any ray, any color, any uh, mm -hmm. astrological influence. And at that point, 
then you can call on all of them, any of them, some combination of them uh, is the idea. Not to mm -hmm. say that every, that's, not that's to the say same that everybody idea. who goes through the ritual has gone through those processes and can right. generally yeah. do that. Yeah. But that's the idea. It's what it's supposed to represent. Yeah. That's the same idea. That same idea is in the arbiter, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, like, like you're talking, you're, you're talking about going to the center of the center of the center of the ropes, mm. right? Mm. And mm. getting there, and then approaching, and then approaching all of these forces from that, from that center. Right. Yeah, yeah. It says they'll yeah. all obey you whether they want to or not. If you're walking with the Lord, if you're right, if you're right there, you know, because they obey Him, they'll obey you. Um, but then how much the more so if they want to that's where it, it talks about a little bit of that mm -hmm. in the, under the venus heading oh by the way 46 i was doing the math in my head that's uh son of luna so the sun aphorism of the luna septenary oh right yeah so that's, yeah that's the most concrete of the solar messages the most lunar tangible i guess i'm gonna try to find the uh the cool quote that the, the the other thing, so there there was like that person forty six basically says like what the entire arbiter says, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's this other one where um, they're talking about how they, he's they say something like it is canon for everyone to know their good angel, right? Oh right, yeah. Um, yeah. There's this like whole the other there's another layer of this where yeah. like. There seems to be some stuff that's that's assumed that you've already that you already know about, or that it's 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 assumed that you're of course going to do this first, um, and that was one of them. But in the part where they talk about uh, how you should know your good angel, they refer to contemporary literature, um, and it's almost saying like for further information, go to this other thing. Mm. Uh, but I'd, I don't remember what the name of the guy is that they refer to, but he's just this Italian guy that was around in the late 16th century and he just wrote, Interesting. he was, he was just a writer. And yeah. there's two books, there's two books that it refers to. I don't think that they're translated or anything. I'm pretty sure that this guy was a Latin writer. Um, but I would love to find out more about, about that writer. That. Now. They, they, you know, just to dig into influence. it. Yeah on the author of the Arbitel, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing uh, I thought was uh, kind of cute is when it talked about the eras that each of the spirits rule. Oh and, yeah. Uh, but it ended with 1900, because from their point of view, like why go beyond that? That's so far in the future, no one's gonna even- No one's gonna then. read this no. by then. There's gonna be a <laughs> yeah. or something. And no, but, this is even going to exist at that point. But it very clearly laid out that it was 490 year increments. Each each section would be 490. So Bethor, uh, the Jupiter spirit, was to rule from 60 BC or BCE to 430 AD or coming era. Um, so basically, starting with around the time of Julius Caesar, and uh, and then from 430 to 920 was Faleg. Here's something phaleg. It's uh the the whiz Khalifa, but anyway, or another Khalifa. Um, and then Och of the Sun from 920 to 1410, and 1410 to 1900 was Hagith, 
the spirit of Venus, and then it leaves off there. So following the pattern, one can um, derive, you know, what's implied is that right now and until from 1900 until 2390 is under Ophiel, which is mercurial, which makes a whole lot of sense, uh, considering yeah. everything from man's first flight in an airplane to today with uh, AI and whatever else, you know, comes up uh, between now and 2390 is all going to be under the spirit of Mercury. And then uh, after 2390 until 2880, from our perspective, that's so far in the future, no one's even going to be alive then. But <laughs> someone, someone might be watching this in uh, the year 2400. That's a trippy thing to think about. If so, then your era is under full of the moon or fool, F-P-H-U-L, not F-O-O-L. And then also implied is that before 60 BC, starting in 550 BC, around the time of Lord Buddha, up until the time of Caesar, it was Arathon, uh, the spirit of Saturn. I just thought that would be a fun thing to mention on that. <laughs> I think if you're watching this in the year 2400, um, well, the one of the perennial truths that I've learned is that like produces like, which means that podcasts produce podcasts. So what I'd like you to do in the year 2400 is produce a podcast that is a response to this podcast, <laughs> where you, where you can, and you can talk about how how the Arbitel still applies, or perhaps it does not apply because you've discovered things that I have not even dreamed of. And right. you found out that, that you've you found out the true cause of the Arbitel. You found out mm. the true way that they produced the Arbitel. And you know mm. things that don't now. Dun, dun, dun. Assuming that you want to be progressive about it, you could also be regressive about it and talk about how you don't know what the Arbitel is anymore. Mm. I mean, I started from a position of like, this is stupid. But then eventually I was like, <laughs> actually, this is pretty cool. You know, um, yeah, I came I came around. I mean, I had to I think I, I had I had gotten a little bit of rust on my brass. I hadn't polished the brass of my of my 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 BTness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, well you know i mean I, I i'm always i've always been a little bit of an asshole and so you know irreverent and, and this kind of thing but i think i because when i a lot of my friends are you know friends a lot of my people that i uh see what they post on social media are uh generally secular humanists atheists uh leftists uh you know, uh, people who would be very quick to make fun of or criticize anything Abrahamic and, uh, and point out the foolishness of, of our ancestors' ways. And, and I can relate with that. I can get, get into that pretty easily, into that uh, state of mind and kind of like, you know, be irreverent right along with them and, and share those jokes as well. And, uh, you know, my, my, my inner grandma, you know, screaming, you're going to go to hell, you know, deep down somewhere inside, but my dad up toward the front going, ha, 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 that's a good one, you know, and uh, anyway, so, so, so I had to kind of like clean some of that out and go, let's get into the space where I can take this seriously, you know, or let's, let's get into the space where I can treat this as something other than just a bunch of stupid 16th century 
you know, uh, I mean, they, I th it seems like they were part of maybe the Protestant, the early Protestant movement, which itself was still very Catholic in Northern Europe at that time, not really recognized yeah. from a, from a present day American, you know, Protestant perspective. But I think, I think that there's a, like a veiled, yes, there is in aphorism. Uh, oh no, never mind. It's they used the word Protestant, I think, at one point. In uh, yes, so Robert Turner does. He says, right. I incite the reader to a charitable opinion hereof with a Christian protestation of an right. innocent purpose therein. Um, yeah. in other words, you oh, know, to protest the innocent purpose of this magic that would be deemed satanic by tradition. right exactly and, and he could just simply mean like he could just maybe. simply mean that. he could just maybe. simply mean like like i i protest the innocence of what i'm doing right um, right but he could also have a deeper meaning of, yeah. of in the overall protestant spirit of being more tolerant of other people's opinions of christianity i am presenting this topic right um, yeah, and he actually, he actually, he, um, this, this was included, the Arbitel was included as the, it was called the Isagoge, and mm. it was included in the fourth book of occult philosophy. Oh, okay. So there was this, and if you look at, if you kind of look at the, um, the Arbitel as this, um, if you look at it like through an Agrippin lens, like a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the alignment stuff makes a lot more sense, mm. you know, because the you know the the idea being that from from an Agrippin sense, like of course there's like you know the three books, there's three worlds, right? There's the super celestial, the celestial, and the mundane. The mm. super celestial is, is the world of God. The world of the angels is the celestial world, and then the world that you're sitting and breathing and pooping it is the mundane world right mm -hmm. the um and the idea is if you want to change something in the mundane world you got to go to the celestial world to do it and then right. to have any authority in the celestial world you need to you need to be one with the super celestial you know mm -hmm. so it all goes again it goes back to this idea of go back to god Call the divine and, name first yeah yes yes right Right. And those and like, like, once, once you really start to like, dig into the Arbitel, you start to see that, hey, there's a lot of um, a lot of the core principles of this, like, made it all the way to the 1880s, 1890s. Right. Okay. De definitely the Arbitel is among the uh, major influences on the development of the Golden Dawn, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And that and that that makes me want to bring up geomancy because yeah. in the the way that geomancy geometric divination is taught in the practicus um don't worry i'm a chief and i gave us permission to talk about this um is uh is is you do well yeah, there's the shield method of course which is nicer than the than the square i think but anyway at the top you're supposed to do a circle a pentagram and do the sigil of the Olympic spirit. I'm pretty right. Sure. And the pentagram, I think, is supposed to be an invoking pentagram of whatever uh, element is associated with it. And I think Which you're, you're supposed to run through at least the at least the divine name, and uh, you know, a, a little bit of the hierarchy 
of the sephira of the planet and then the planet i was always such a nerd i would go through the whole hierarchy i know some people will skip bits of the hierarchy maybe just do the divine name the angel and then the spirit or the the intelligence and the spirit but i would i would run through the whole hierarchy of the of the sephira and the whole hierarchy of the planet um and in, in order to get the message in order to ask a question related to venus or related to mercury or related to the moon um, then you do the dots and so on and so forth and the instructions are out there i don't need to go through it every step but uh but yeah so the the main idea of the way that this is presented in the arbitel is the spirits are there for you to ask questions to and then mm. they'll give you the accurate answers um, to the questions and uh, geomancy is supposed to be a very accurate and specific way of getting an answer to a very specific question in the form of the geomantic figures, which are very fun. And I'm sure every Golden Dawner just loves geomancy more than any <laughs> other aspect of the Golden Dawn, right? Can you hear my <laughs> facetiousness in my voice? Um, it's probably generally, I'd say, most people's least favorite thing in the in in all the grades but but I yeah I, I don't i can think of one adept maybe right. i can think of one adept that was like really into geomancy for a sort while. B. yeah yeah oh, well, was she really oh okay she There's was too yeah she she was sort of taken as like an oracle of it and she was hardcore catholic too so mm -hmm. you know so i think mm -hmm. she was right there in that arbitel sweet zone of mm. uh of of having having dominion over the the spirits of divination and, and these particular spirits of divination, but wow. But I know um, Tabitha uh, has a lot of interesting insights. Um, I mean, you know, things I've heard. Uh, I think in self initiation. I mean, I'm a, I'm a little old, so I think that has a new title now. Has for the past fifteen years or so, but um, I've forgotten that. But the old one was self initiation into the Golden Dawn. Um, and uh, there was a, a chapter on geomancy where she talked about a lot of like very subtle uh, tricks of like following the message around from the uh, you know, what sign rules or what planet rules the sign that that geomantic figure is in and then what other geomantic figure is ruled by that planet and where is that and what's the relationship between them and then so you get oh yeah very specific and detailed um yeah i think i think in the fourth book straight mm -hmm. coincidentally i think in the fourth book there's there's a there's a an essay like there's a treatise on geomancy and it it gets mm -hmm. it gets into that kind of thing in the, the fourth relation, book of occult philosophy yeah yeah oh okay the okay the relation between um geomancy and astrology oh okay okay cool there was some other guy too whatever but um yeah um yeah those those i those ideas have a lot of um, there's a lot of historical grounding in it. yeah so this ends up being this project of you and i doing this research to put this episode together is kind of like filling in some of the gaps of our practicus studies that mm -hmm. uh things that weren't very interesting at the time probably you know in, in practicus um 
there were aspects of geomancy I found fun, like spotting the geomantic figures in clouds and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and just, you know, throwing some coins at the ground and going, oh, look, it's Carcer and it's, uh, you know, and all these different things. But, um, <laughs> or when you're really mad at someone and you put Carcer around them or you want them to go away and you go, I miss you. I miss you. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> there were these, these, I think they were, I, I, I think we assumed they were Nigerian. Um, do you remember, were, were you, did you ever get to ha have the privilege of hearing the, the very loud church that went on in the, uh, the warehouse space next to, it was, it, there were, there was our cult and then there was another cult that was next really? to Really? Yeah. I don't the, remember this at all. The man, the, the <laughs> managers or whatever of the, of the industrial warehouse area by TA truck stop off Millican uh, in uh, off the 10 freeway uh, decided to put the two weirdo, you know, renters right next to each other. And they were so yeah. loud and they would of course always get together on Saturday night, just like us. And there'd be, mm -hmm. you know, a guy with a microphone and you know, but by the way that they were scowling at us, like sometimes they would, they would come outside at the same time we would, and they'd all be kind of, very well dressed and looking at us, you know, like, like we were the devil or something. And, and so, you know, but yeah, I miss that. I, they, I totally wish I was there for that. We'd be trying to get into, I want to say getting into character. I used to do acting, but you know, get into God form, getting ready for, okay. for a neophyte initiation, sitting, I'm sitting there as, as, as the high risk. And then, you know, they'd be next door. I don't want to imitate it's in poor taste, you know, back then was before mm -hmm. a lot of political correctness took root in all of our collective minds. And so back mm -hmm. then I would, would imitate the, uh, the African preacher, but um, you can imagine. Yeah. I think you can hear it, can. You know, the, the African preacher. And uh, so I'd, I'd stand up, walk over to the, to the Northern wall and then do a big Amicio. <laughs> <laughs> And then, then do like an earth banishing pentagram, you know, like get the fuck out, you know. And then we ended up leaving. So, you know, it's like sometimes, sometimes you push hard enough, you push yourself away, you know. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> get out. It's my house. Oh, <laughs> I guess I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> what's there? What's what's over there now? Oh, and I don't know what's in um that warehouse know a mutual friend of ours from sweden uh went there and took pictures you know he took a picture of like hey look i'm standing by the door of the old temple yeah, um yeah. but i don't know what was there um they they later we we had moved to another warehouse area a warehouse space in baldwin park that was bigger um mm. And it was, uh, it, it had like a second level. So there was like stairs that went up to a classroom and there was windows and it was actually kind of nice. But then we had a terrible schism where 90% of the order left ISIS and uh, RZ, you know. And so suddenly mm -hmm. we couldn't pay rent. And, uh, but half of the, the, the co-signers were in the other part of the schism. So it was a mess, you know. Uh -oh. So we, we were all having to, having to, collect money and it's like well if you you know if you want the temple to survive then you should um 
give us your money. And it's like, well, I was, I was in favor of the people who left. I think they had a lot of good points about how fucked we are here. And it's like, well, you know, the chiefs of that temple are going to be fucked if we don't pay the rent too, because they're co-signed on our lease. So if you mm -hmm. don't want the Chicago temple to be fucked, then you should donate to the ISIS temple so we can pay the rent mm -hmm. so that they're not fucked. It's just like a mess. So like a a bad divorce you know kind of thing yeah it is exactly like yeah, that yeah march 2011 that one mm -hmm. um so yeah so that was baldwin park it was a nice physical space a lot of weird things happened in that physical space but the space itself was nice and mm -hmm. uh and there was a taoist i want to say taoist buddhist i think it was taoist buddhist or maybe just taoist with some buddhist you know influence uh cult that was in the not exactly the same space but it was an identical uh group of warehouse spaces across the street from us and i didn't, wow. we didn't know we didn't know it was there but later after i had left and i became a yoga teacher and then i decided to teach like uh lbrp and middle pillar and tibetan uh like a tibetan practice with the chakras uh in a in a uh a workshop on the weekend at the yoga studio the hot yoga studio where i was working and one mm. student came and he was a guy um he was a, a taiwanese guy but born in the u.s and he was from that other cult so he invited me to wow. his cult and uh and uh that was fun yeah because it was like oh it's cool. the same space same physical space i'm familiar with the layout but Mm -hmm. I think theirs was bigger. They they had like two that were connected or something like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. This reminds me of um, this reminds me of something that that happened recently. I um, so uh, so as as you probably very well know already, I'm in this process of like just kind of like rebuilding my my whole like mundane life. Like there was mm, yeah. aspects, there's was, there was just aspects of things happening that were just, they just weren't working anymore. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, well, we need to rebuild all this stuff, you know? Um, and so, so I did that and I was working, I was working with a very specific um, angel to like kind of help to guide the whole process and everything, right? And he mm. did, everything went great. It was, mm. it, everything went much better than I would have expected given the amount of effort that I put into like contacting this angel and like doing all this stuff. Like, like it was all, it wasn't casual, but at the same time, it wasn't like, it was just a thing that I did. Like, and then I think that I would go back to, but every ceremony was like maybe 15 or 20 minutes long. Like it wasn't a big deal, you know, mm -hmm. but, but like so many things happened from that. Anyway, I went back to that spirit and he was like, and he was like, okay, we got it. We have everything in place. Like everything's working great. There's only one thing that you're missing now. And I was like, what's that? And he was like, you need a spiritual community. When you go to your new place, you're going to have to find a spiritual community. And I was like, what kind of spiritual community? And he was like, I'm not going to tell you what kind of spiritual community to have. You have whatever you want, but I want you to have one because I want you to have I just want you to have a community. I don't want you to be alone. You know, I don't want you to be alone when you're out there because because he was he was concerned that. So my wife is coming with me. I promise. Um, she's getting the house ready now 
um, and the movers are going to come later this week. And then after that, everybody's everybody's going to come. So pets, my you know my my wonderful wife, um, every everything's everything's on its way. But for now, mm. I'm here by myself. Mm. Um, and he was like, "You got to find people." Um, and I was like, okay, that sounds good. Um, so, uh, so I was like, well, what kind of community do I want? Like that was, he like pretty much threw the gauntlet down and he was like, I'm not going to like live your life for me. Like, like mm. you go, go on a quest, like go find your spiritual community, get out there, you know? Mm. And so, um, so I was like, what kind of, like, if I could find any community at all right and i just had like a completely fresh start what would i want to find and i was like let's try for like the first thing i i went to, the first thing that i went to was i was like what if i could find like hoodoo like what if i could find like um what if i could find people who were interested in that tradition right so i found um i found this place called it was called uh, kansas city conjure um but I went over there and they were like totally closed. Like, like, like the, everything online said that they were open. And then the, like, if you call them and ask for their hours, then they're going to say that they're open. But when I went over there, like, like it was closed, closed. Like there was dust on the, you know, there was like dust on the front door. Like nobody had been there for a long time. Um, so I gave them a call. Nobody answered. And I haven't heard from them since. So I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'm supposed to be on this quest to find the community. Apparently the community's not there. So then I was like, what if I tried to find like, so I've always been like really interested. I've always been interested in Zen, like mm. Japanese Buddhism. Um, um, but I've never really had a chance to explore it really. Right. So I was like, what if I could find like a Japanese Zen community? That would be awesome. Right. Mm. So then, so I looked for that and I couldn't find it like mm. at all. Like, like there's just, it just wasn't there. Like, um, yeah. And I, and I, I, I looked for a couple different places and I looked, okay, maybe it's in Missouri, nothing. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine. Right. So then, um, so then after all that, uh, what happened? I just, I, I was just like driving around and I saw an Episcopal church mm. and I was, so I was married in an Episcopal church. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have like real ties to the Episcopal church. My and own doctor like, is an archbishop. I won't say his name or where he's an archbishop for his privacy. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll just say AKHV esoteric nerd episode 20 something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. So, so I was driving by an Episcopal church and I was like, and I was like, okay, I mean, I don't like to, um, whenever I'm going on a quest like this, I don't like to say, no, that's too familiar or that's too uninteresting. Like mm -hmm. when you do stuff like that, then you never find anything because the yeah. uninteresting and the dull is sometimes that's what you're looking for. Right. Yeah. So I like, I, so I pull up. I, I like drive up, I get out of the car and they're like, and they're like, Hey, they, they were like, are you new here? Did you move here? And I was like, yeah. And they, and they said, that's great. So then they like, they like gave me like banana bread and they were like, come on in. We're watching the chiefs right now. And we're eating chili. Do you want chili? Are you hungry? 
And I was like, yeah, I'm hungry. And they were like, just come in. We're going to have food, right? And then they were like, come back next weekend. We're going to have, we're going to have more food. We're going to have, we're going to have a newcomer's luncheon. And I was like, why are you guys eating so much? And they were like, well, Jesus ate all the time. <laughs> come on in. Yeah. So I found my spiritual community. I don't even know oh, like, why I was telling the story, but. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, it was the way the angel had said to do was uh, right. Find, yeah, yeah, in the new right. place. Hmm. Yeah, he said he said go find a community, and um, I didn't like I didn't really think that he meant like go find a spiritual community, right. go to find a monastery on a mountain, and go forth for the next seven yeah. years. Like, he yeah. wasn't saying he was just saying like. Just go find people to hang out with, please. Yeah. And yeah. So I did. How interesting. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I think uh in 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 my uh journey, you know, we she had experience in an Osho commune when she was younger. And oh, I yeah. had experience, I had experience in a golden dawn order, as you know. And uh and so we're but we're both like solo practitioners at this point where mm -hmm. it's like it's like we we notice communities and we go hmm that that seems like it would have its benefits and also be too culty for my taste but you know mm -hmm. we, we sort of observe the different communities like in goa the uh two two of the big ones are um you know the old portuguese catholic i mean they 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 threw off the portuguese but they kept the catholicism um in especially south goa but all throughout goa like i think i think it's 50 percent of the uh of the goans are roman catholic and, wow uh, yeah it's a fascinating history of goa i recommend mm. a deep dive one day uh, they unfortunately had a, an inquisition too but um uh, and then in north goa there's the the hippies all flooded in in the 60s and of course they were they were um rejecting a lot of western things i mean vietnam the vietnam war and then lsd was opening them up to new ideas and so they they were kind of like third eye wide open from the lsd and then smoking some weed and then let's be hindu and so but they're a different kind of hindu than like the hindus in india you know yeah. so so there's there's that community or those communities in north goa there's like the 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 basically white people that are doing yoga and uh you know being anti-vaxxers and collecting crystals you know what i mean and it's like so i kind of observe them from a distance like okay that exists that's there mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. like they'll they'll and it's interesting how there'll be the physical the physical spaces of hindu temples they'll have certain things where the that you know uh a lot of people from other states after because goa was separate from the rest of india for uh from the 1400s until the 1960s and then um after the 1960s india was like okay we're gonna take everybody was decolonizing and india's like trying to talk to portugal like so we get goa right and portugal's like no you know so finally <laughs> india was like okay we're gonna take it and portugal was like you can't and then the india took it and then portugal was like hey hey nato you remember how we're supposed to back each other up when people try to take our land well india just took goa and nato was like looking at each other like 
okay, Portugal, you know, like, uh, I think we're gonna not do anything about that. And Portugal was like, <laughs> and so that's how that went. And so, <laughs> so people, uh, Hindus from other states in India all moved into Goa. So there's a substantial, mm. a substantial Hindu, Indian Hindu population there as well. And so the, so there's newer Hindu temples and old churches, like hundreds of years old churches, and then 50-year-old uh, and 70-year-old and 10-year-old Hindu temples. And um, so wow. there'll be local like Maharashtran or, or you know, different uh, communities generally from who migrated from other states a generation ago or or more recently, um, who, who practice at these temples. And then on Tuesday night or whatever, the hippies will show up. And it's like they they pay, they have their agreement with the keeper of the temple. They pay whatever fee and they, it's it's all very official. And then they gather around and then they do Hari, you know, Hari Krishna, Hari Hari Krishna, but they're banging on drums and they're doing you know, uh, I don't think they're overtly smoking weed in the temple, but they're going, going to, going out to their scooter or their car to do that and uh, just enjoying themselves. And, you know, and I've, I've, I know that goes on. It's just not for me, you know, like I, a, young, a younger <laughs> me would have been all over that. And I, I used yeah. to hang out with those same types of people in California, you know, when I was younger. And uh, that was a community that I liked very much, especially before I started to realize how, how little, I mean, that when, when things started to polarize and get so divided, um, you know, I, I, I used to think 100%, these are my people. But then once like half of them were like, for Bernie and the other half were for Trump. And then, you know, it was 70% of them are anti-vaxxers and all this other stuff. I'm like, who are these people? I, I kind of hate these people, but these are my people, you know, and, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I have more in common with them than anyone else, you know, people from California who love Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, that kind of thing. And, and weed, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I don't relate with a lot of them and I, I keep my distance from them. And then at the same time, I went through that period in my 20s where I was like hardcore Catholic, you know, singing in the choir and everything. And, uh, you know, Pew loves uh, Christianity. I mean, you know, like not exclusively. That's the thing with Christianity is a lot of the, a lot of the especially traditional like Catholic uh, conservative folks, like they'll look at you funny when you start to be like, yeah, and also Buddhism, they'll be like, okay, you don't understand. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's Jesus and no one else. So, you know, you, it's, it's oh, not, yeah. not spiritual polyamory. I'm married to Yeshua and also Shiva, you know, like, and, and so you have to kind of keep that part to yourself. And I don't really want to want to be a pretender and be keeping to myself like I can just I can show them I got a cross tattoo but don't come over to my house and see my 500 Vajrayana Buddhist statues or it'll freak you out so it kind of puts me again in that sort of same similar similar position that I was in as a teenager where I'm neither here nor there I'm not really mm. part of the, the the hippie Hindu camp or the uh or the the Catholic camp uh but mm -hmm. Goa seems to be the best fit for us Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in all of India you're, you're, it's it's an oddball place and the oddball is close enough like that's yeah really, yeah, yeah. you're uh 
you're at a nexus, right? I feel yeah, like I feel like yeah. anybody anybody who gets deeply enough into anything realizes that there are parts of this that really resonate with them, and there are parts of it that have nothing to do with them, right? Yeah. And you um um you can you know, and at first it's like a lot of people are just like, oh, this isn't for me because not everything resonates with me. Mm. Not everything resonates with everybody. Right. Right. And um, if it did, that's called like scary, you know, like if, if everybody's yeah, marching like, with why, the same drum, run, right. you know, like, <laughs> right. That's, yeah. That's the worst kind of like fascism or, or cultiness, you know, you got because I mean, because and... the thing is like, like, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about how, about how there's a certain amount of, um, there's a certain amount of naturalism that's sort of healthy to, to keep around, right? Like, hmm. like you're, you're a unique part of nature, right? Hmm. Like outside of, outside of what any particular culture has to say, right? Outside hmm. of what like European culture has to say, outside of what, outside of what Japanese culture might have to say, outside of what Indian culture has to say, right? Because all culture is just a way for humans to relate to the unknown. Each other. Right? Yeah. To yeah. relate to each other, Themselves, to relate to the even. unknown, yeah. to relate yeah, to yeah. the yeah. other, right? Oh, and Terrence so that, McKenna said it's an operating system. That, that it's an operating system, you're exactly. The hardware and the culture is the operating system and culture right. is not your friend. <laughs> I love Terrence <laughs> McKenna, but anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, like you have these various these various systems to really relate to the other, right? But mm -hmm. you you are not that system. You are none of those systems, right? And so you're free at any time to just like mm -hmm. float in amongst all of these things mm -hmm. and to act as a nexus for anyone. Because mm -hmm. you're a natural so object, just like the math. sky, just like yeah. just like the rocks yeah. that make up the earth you you are you're a natural thing very cool i like that <laughs> <laughs> well that's good i'm glad i'm glad you found some folks i think he could probably um you know be a little polyamorous uh, in in kansas if you do find uh you know other uh other other folks and you know uh, yoga <laughs> yeah, meditation like if and, i you know, like when I eventually find my Zen folks, I could totally still hang out with them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's some kind of yoga is so all pervasively popular these days that there's mm -hmm. surely mm -hmm. surely gonna be a yoga class where you can like talk to the teacher afterward, like so so where's the real stuff going on? You know, like like you know, when how do I get on the on the on the WhatsApp? Do you guys use WhatsApp yet in America? Oh um, yeah. Well um yeah. I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a, okay, in America, <laughs> in America, you have like people, people that are from like generations of America, right? Mm -hmm. And probably those people don't use WhatsApp, but then the right. constant influx of people New from folks. other countries move to America, they're taking they WhatsApp. Use WhatsApp. Yeah. They all use WhatsApp, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so when my wife and I, a couple of years ago, we went to Indonesia, we started to use WhatsApp for, mm. you know, to talk to our new Indonesian friends. And since yeah. then, like, use it all the time. Yeah. So you can get on the WhatsApp group invite list for the uh, the cool, like, 
meditation stuff going on on Saturday night at uh, yoga teacher Sarah's house, you know, or, mm, or whatever. Mm. I don't know if that if that exists in Kansas, you know, the, the equivalent of that. I think I there, I mean, if you're in a city in Kansas, then surely it must be, you know, depending on the size of the city. But yes, there is there's a there's a yoga studio right down the street. Oh, I actually yeah. I, I walked by it to get this coffee. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be a good, you know, I mean, like it's an odd, I, I mean, it's a pseudo spiritual. I don't want to say it's pseudo spiritual. It's very spiritual. Yoga, real yoga is very spiritual. I mean, I, 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 I've lost touch with the meaning of the word spiritual, but yoga itself comes from the Shramana traditions. Are you familiar with that? No. The, uh, so in, in um, BC 600, there were these there were there were like 62 different shramana sects and these were people who had a lot of things in common um they, there were a lot of different variations but but three main examples you can point to are buddhism jainism and basically yoga um and uh they they all practice these three all practice nonviolence, which is called ahimsa um brahmacharya which means keeping it in your pants basically if you're a hardcore devotee of the path but they they usually would have lay people that of course get married and have children but are kind of followers of the teachings and things like that um and uh you know keep clean uh you know uh wash your house wash your hands you know this kind of thing like they, they these they have like a lot of the, their main 10 rules in common and then um then maybe a slightly different emphasis beyond that, like with, I mean, but only slightly with yoga, you know, um, you practice your concentration and, and sense withdrawal and breath techniques and meditate. And then the, uh, the goal is uh, some, uh, not samsara, <laughs> is uh, basically, basically nirvana or mukti, um, liberation uh, from the material and the cycle of uh, birth and death. Same with Buddhism, same with Jainism. So these were called uh, the Shramana traditions that were kind of older than what we now think of as Hinduism. The worshiping mm. of, of gods like Shiva and especially Kali came more in the Tantric movement and, uh, and Ganesh. And like they all had their periods in history where they became popular and then all kind of... Uh, and then the Vedas kind of came, well, this is a little bit of a controversial thing to say, but they came with the ancient Iranians uh, who came down into, after the Indus River Valley civilization had dried up and the Dravidians had kind of gone south. Um, they came and they brought Sanskrit with them and the, and the, the Vedas and, and basically the foundation for what we think of now as, as Hindu religion. But separate from that also part of um, ancient Indian tradition was yoga so is it spiritual well what is spirit it's spirit is an English word that's derived from a Latin word that's derived from something else and it has to do with breath and so it's like eh, you know it depends on who's defining spirit what it even means I mean like mm -hmm. the, the spirits we're talking about the Olympic spirits has nothing to do with that um, yeah you know the the Holy Spirit well, you know, I mean, that's like an unfathomable mystery. 
um, do, do, you know, if, if it by definition has to descend from the Abrahamic father god, the, the, the ancient uh, Zeus Pater, the, uh, the, 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 the sky god, the, the, or whatever it was, you know, then no, it's not that, you know, um, it's, it's completely different from that. Um, but spiritual, I think today means everything that's not like atheist, uh, ephemerally based, science and reason based, um, anything that someone holds as as valuable or true that doesn't that cannot be measured in a test tube um, becomes spiritual or religious or something. You know, and religious, mm. I guess, means more like something organized or based on rituals. Where spiritual is the other category and it's I don't know so I mean when I was young I thought I knew what spirit or spiritual meant and uh now that I'm 45 I've I've lost my ability to really coherently define it um yeah I don't know what it means either I mean usually yeah. <laughs> usually when I'm when I'm talking about when I say the word spiritual like I'm referring to something that we're curious right like 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 I don't know how to describe that like non-material entities that have methods of communication with you and that sure. can also help you to do stuff, right? Like that's what I mean. paranormal, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So that's what I mean by spiritual. But like outside, but that's like, that's, it's not an abuse, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very technical use of top of the word, right? Mm. Oh, and like, like spiritualism. That was kind of what that was about is right. sciences and yeah yeah so like like that's usually what i mean when i say spiritual right but but the but outside of that there's this whole concept of uh of like you said a non-materiality right mm -hmm. of a um yeah of non-materiality and that's like yeah. the closest that i can get to to saying like what spiritual means you know like the the only like because as far as yoga goes or i mean frankly buddhism for, for the most part um the only point at which it can be categorized as spiritual is the point where it says you know if you attain this perfect peace that comes from you know a certain kind of physical exercise and mental discipline and emotional control then you don't you 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 don't um, have to compulsively reincarnate after death. That's the point where it's like, oh, you're talking about woo woo, you know? Oh, you're talking about something. Uh, but other than that, if you just sort of omit that part, it's like, well, what is it? It's a practice where you do stretches, deep breathing, um, and, and then there's sort of a community aspect to it because you're all yeah. getting together. You're in a room full of people that are all doing stretching and deep breathing, and um, you know, like a person can perv out with it and kind of go to yoga to like check out the, you know, the yoga pants or whatever. But if you approach it in a more wholesome uh, light, you know, the brahmacharya, like the way it's intended to, or at least in the ancient form is intended to when it was all Indian guys, you know, basically. Um, now it's like, yeah, you're, you, you can walk in and more often than not, you'll be the only guy in the yoga class. So it's like mm -hmm. a little, can, sometimes it's a little awkward. In, in Southern California, it was, it was more mixed, but usually less than half male. Um, when I went for my teacher certification, I was the only guy in a, in a, a class of six 
uh, with a female mm. teacher. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a little awkward, but well, it was fine, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting an interesting journey. Um, has its ups and downs. I think the only the only thing that left a sour taste in my mouth about it was I went into it thinking, projecting too much positivity onto it. I went into it thinking mm -hmm. that the that these are great, wonderful, perfect people. And, uh, and then it turned out that they have just as much ego and, you know, like politics and, and, and stuff going on as any other human, you know, mm. and, um, and when they get organized, they're just as weird as any other organized group. Um, mm. But, but they're, they're, they're a fine community, they, they'll have different things to offer than I think the Episcopalians. But the Episcopalians seem real down to earth and just kind of like, hey, we're watching the game. Yeah, welcome. You know, like, they're not like, yeah welcome in christ you know they're like it's just sort of assumed you're like like oh you're american yeah okay yeah that means you're good. okay like, let's watch yeah. the game you know have some chili you know like yeah 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 um no that's that's actually good to know i didn't consider something like we'll just go to a yoga studio and yeah just and, to go beginner class yeah, and just kind of check it out and, you know, say, yeah, I just moved into town. And, uh, you know, I got a friend who's a yoga teacher. He moved to India. He's so hardcore about it, you know, or whatever. I don't know. You can, <laughs> if you want to, yeah. How hardcore he lives in India be. somewhere. He <laughs> wanders like an ascetic between uh, Delhi yeah. and Goa. I think he's in the Himalayas, sitting on a mountaintop. <laughs> I, I watched, now, India is, is a funny thing. Um, there, there was this, I was watching like a, a TikTok reel or something before mm -hmm. they banned TikTok in India. I don't know if you know about that. Uh, China, there was a skirmish on the border and uh, China was trying to take some, some Indian land. And then there was oh. a skirmish, a big fight. They, they, both armies had agreed not to use guns. And so they had like baseball bats with nails on them and stuff. And they were beating Whoa. crap out of each other and, and a bunch of people died. And so India banned TikTok. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no more TikTok in India. And so, you know, but on a YouTube reel or something where you see the little TikTok thing in the corner, you know, um, cause there's VPNs, but anyway. So there's like this thin, very serious looking Indian man wearing like, uh, uh, I forget what it's called. You know, it looks like a big diaper. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you know, like nothing up here and, uh, you know, long hair and walking up to the top of this mountain in, uh, in, you know, up above Rishikesh. It's like a mountain named after Shiva. And there's like a little, a little, uh, shrine there. And there's like a little, you know, the trident, I forget what it's called in, in, the, the Sanskrit word for that, it's the same as the Trident, but it's a Shiva thing. And there's like maybe some Tibetan flags there. And he, you know, puts his hands together and then he starts to do his yoga, except then suddenly it's sped up with some kind of R&B track. You know, wow. On the top of a sacred mountain with like fog down there, you know? So it's kind of like, this is also earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like there are parts of it that are, that resemble the india in your head <laughs> but <laughs> they've also been you know experiencing the past several decades along with everyone else and so you know it's it, 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 
like again, it's a, if you go into it with with an expectation, if you go into anything with an expectation, then uh, then you'll be disappointed. But if you go into anything with just fresh eyes of like, I don't know what this is going to be like, what will it be like? Then it can be, you know, always interesting, always you know, uh, pleasant, even. You yeah, know. that's very, yeah, yeah. That's what, like, that's what 2023 sort of taught me is um, I was really comfortable for like most of my life, right? Like I had like, you know, I, I basically just came from this like working class background, right? Where, like, mm-hmm. As long as you have a job, then you're probably going to have health insurance and then, and everything's just going to be fine. So like the place that you're going to get money for your next meal, the place that you're going to get money to keep your house and stuff like that, like that's all going to be fine, right? Um, and so there was this, and so because of that, there was this certain amount of, my mind was free to plan the future right? But since my mind, since my mind was free to plan the future, I would often become obsessed about the future. Mm. Or I would become obsessed, I would become obsessed about things that were not happening directly in front of me, right? Mm. When I started to get uncomfortable, uncomfortable enough that I was like, that I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta change things. When I started to get uncomfortable, I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know what was coming in the future. That was really, un- that was like really uncomfortable because like yeah. my whole life had always been like, just the basics are going to be there. You know what I mean? And when the basics were threatened, then it was like, oh, I'm not going to have this. Or I don't know if I'm going to have this or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but when I didn't know, suddenly I had to pay attention to the present. Mm-hmm. And all of us, like that changed everything because then when I had nothing to obsess about, then I was like, oh, everything's happening right now. So that when I was in that state, then I come to this brand new place and it's like, everything's happening right now. This is amazing, you know? And so like all these new things start happening, all these new things come along and it's, and it's just this thing about, uh, it's just this thing about staying in the present. And I had all of these, I had all of these distractions that come with being comfortable. Mm. Yeah. I love these conversations because I never know why we're talking about any particular thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, we, like, I don't know that people might, people who watch my other programs and you know pay attention to the background might be like so where is he like like oh i'm not at i'm not at home uh but i do happen to be in my old bedroom from 2019 when i uh after i packed up all my stuff and uh said my goodbyes my final goodbyes uh and then you know left with the intention of okay now i'm gonna marry priel and you know stay in india forever this was my bedroom. She was busy while I was in California. She was setting up this, this flat and this room. And this is where I'm registered, where I live. And so hence, uh, when I, when it came time where I was like, enough is enough, I need a driver's license and I need this particular kind of ID so I can open a normal bank account in India. It's been six years. This is ridiculous. So I had to come here. Um, cause this is where I'm living. 
I mean, on the record. So that's why I'm in Delhi. And right now, it's the most polluted city on the planet. Um, wow. Because uh, in up north in uh, Punjab, a bunch of farmers all burn their dry crops at the same time to make oh. the fields fertile for the next crop. And uh, so yesterday we were up to 999 because it doesn't go up higher than that. 600 being hazardous, 700 being like very hazardous, you know, uh, like 400 being very poor, 300 being poor, 200 being like, it's okay, you can go jogging, you know, like, like we were at 999. And uh, so like, you might have noticed, uh, you know, a frog in my throat and all this kind mm. of thing. And so what was the point of my bringing up any of that? Uh, so yeah, so so I'm in Delhi right now, but I live in Goa. And we were noticing because we we were we were living in Delhi for a year and a half, taking care of my OCI, so that I was uh, able to stay here forever, basically, so I could have my the closest thing to an Indian citizenship that I can have without renouncing my American citizenship. And so once we got that, then we were like so sick of all the noise, the traffic, the pollution. We were like, we want to go back to Goa, but not North Goa. We're going to go to South Goa where there's no tourism. There's no tourists. There's just the local Goans going to church, being simple, you know, and, and there's like tropical and, and, and beaches. And um, so then we, we found this one area where, and everybody said, well, you probably want to be in this part of town where there's restaurants and where there's like stuff going on. And we're like, no, <laughs> we want to go to that other part of town where there's nothing, <laughs> just crickets. <laughs> and uh, it's like technically a village. And they're like, yeah, but there's no Wi-Fi there. There's no way to get Wi-Fi there. And we're like, we don't care. We want to live over there. And uh, so the place where we live, like we open up the windows and it's just trees. Like there's no neighbors in, in two of the directions from where we're staying, it's just trees. And, uh, and we have this nice big balcony and it's just this great view, it's just nothing happening. Like within, like you can see really far and you can clearly see that there are seven human beings within this great area, you know, where right now there's probably a hundred human beings like within 20 feet of where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but this building probably has a hundred people in it. And uh, so, so Delhi is very different from Goa. So we went to a, another extreme and then that prompted the need for a car because then we're like, okay, well, we can't go anywhere. So we got into walking and then we were like, okay, we need to walk. And then we discovered that because there are no people there, the dogs think it's their land. <laughs> Mm. there's like all these stray dogs or dogs that technically are assigned to houses but they act like stray dogs and there's like stray dog gangs and they're kind of aggressive and I was like for a long time I'm like telling Pew like they don't bite you know like because I'm like thinking like American in America if a dog bites then you know bye bye doggy it's really sad mm -hmm. but that's the way that the way that it's dealt with in America but you know, so then at a certain point, she Googles it and it was like, one of the biggest problems in Goa is all the stray dogs and how often they bite people. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so then that that was the final, uh, you know, push toward getting a car. But uh, but yeah, my point was kind of in line with what you were saying was was when there's nothing nothing going on it's a, a we, I, I was joking that it was a little bit like the shining because it's like it's it's her 
and me and this nice sized space and wind in the trees mm. and like you know uh crickets and uh so there's like so much space for your brain to like worry about things and to like you know like obsess about things to to over plan and you know all this other stuff but then as soon as we come to delhi there's like five people just in this flat you know right now i mean i know them all you know like they're they're close friends and you know good friends at this point um when i went to take my driver test a few back a few, her her best friend's brother you know, uh, it went with me and we didn't have a car. Like they were like, where's your car? And we were like, we, I thought that they were bringing a car. And they're like, we, we told you to bring a car. And we're like, you definitely didn't tell us to bring a car. And so the, the, there was a guard there was like, you can use my car. And I was like, thank you so much, sir. And, uh, but then he let someone else use his car. So they said, you can't use the same car that he used. And so Maha, the, who's in the next room, um, just went out through the back of like the Indian DMV and, and uh, out through the front, out to the street, there's like this overpass and there's this dirt road. And he just flagged down a random car <laughs> and was like, hey, I'll pay you a thousand rupees if you let us use your car for like an hour. <laughs> and the guy's like, okay. <laughs> so he, frees, <laughs> he drives up in the shittiest possible car you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, so that was when I failed my driver's test. And, uh, <laughs> You failed the, <laughs> the first time around. And what so, happened? Did you... <laughs> well, they, it's an automated track. So, so what happens? Because like they have so many fatal fatal accidents in uh, in in India and in Delhi that uh, they've instituted this very strict system to make sure that that people who get driver's licenses can actually drive well. And uh, so it's like actually more difficult than getting than than passing the driver's test in the U.S. Um, mm maybe i mean because for one thing there's a back long backwards winding road that you have to navigate going backwards without touching the lines on either side and uh that's how the test starts and so uh so some people don't get past that and like yeah that's hard yeah once you touch the line like three times then they're like your test is over you failed and then you have you have to wait a week before you can take it again and you can only take it three times per year or something like that so it's a little bit like a little strict but with wiggle room and then uh then you have to simulate an overtake or like uh pass somebody um but it's just uh you know uh what are they called you know cones or whatever like, like these things sticking up and then you like turn put on your turn signal and pass the imaginary car you do a figure eight and you have to use your turn signal to, at certain parts in the figure eight to show like which way you're turning and uh you have to parallel park which they got rid of that in california um mm, they got rid of it in california wow yeah yeah and uh but i i trained so well to parallel park that i was able to do it even though the steering wheel is on the right side of the car and, wow uh, and yeah and the stick shift is on the left you know so yeah so i I'm not really used to that, but I was able to do the test and parallel park and everything. Nice. The, the final part of the test was you go up a hill and you have to stop at a red light that's there. And then after eight seconds, you go and you have to go from a dead stop at an uphill incline and go forward without rolling back. 
but that's uh, a really I, good test. What I didn't know was this car that he had randomly gotten off the street, the e-brake didn't work. <laughs> Oh. So, I, so I, I put on the e-brake and then you know the car had stalled and so I was like all right and so I like start the car and it's like rolling back and I'm like slamming on the brake and then pulling up the e-brake but the e-brake isn't doing anything and then I'm starting the car rolling back some more and then finally got it to go forward and they're like yeah you failed you rolled back mm -hmm. like two feet and I'm like mm -hmm. and so so then we were able to arrange through some mutual friends and whatnot uh for a very decent newer car oh good okay that worked and so i took the test two days ago mm -hmm. i think if not yesterday mm -hmm. no it's two days ago on friday and passed and it, it was fine nice so, so yeah <laughs> i can i can now drive in india so now even though we're in the boonies we're in the village we're in a very isolated uh place in our, in our place down in goa now I can, we can drive to the to North Goa. We can drive to where the parties are at. We can drive to the our favorite little crystal shop. We can drive to the mall. We can drive to any of the many beaches. We can drive to the cute little old Portuguese style, uh, you know, community in the in the capital. Uh, it's all you know a maximum an hour. You know, like like an hour and a half if we want to go to the like north part of North Goa. Um, so so yeah you'll be protected from roving gangs of wild dogs yes yes exactly <laughs> they That's bite great. uh they bite 60 people a day but there's 1.8 million people so i'm like doing the math and i'm like that, that's not that many people i mean you know okay you mean india wide no no or goa in Goa, there's 1.8 million, and oh, um, 1.8 million, okay. and 60 of them are showing up at the the hospital, going, ah, <laughs> a dog bit me every day, <laughs> and uh, and so, so you know, that's that's a lot, but it's also not that many. I mean, 60 out yeah, of 1.8 million, and there's yeah. 70 some. So they estimate 70,000 stray dogs. Uh, roaming around, and it's like, well, yeah, but there's huh. roughly eight million people, so seventy thousand seems like a big number. But when you put it next to one point eight million, it's not that big of a big number. But you know, it's like a, a dog for every so many hundred people. You know, it's did you say that there's how many wild dogs? Seventy thousand. 70,000 wild dogs. Well, they're stray dogs. They're they're, they're domesticated breeds of dogs. It's a it's a state. Um it's uh oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's the it's a smaller state, but it's a state. Uh actually I don't know exactly what to compare it to. I think you could probably drive from the southern part of the state to the northern part in two and out two, two hours, two and a half hours. So oh, okay. So Probably bigger than Rhode Island, but not as big. Yeah, as it's Kansas. bigger than Rhode Island. It's <laughs> yeah. like like how long if you had to drive two and a half hours, uh, halfway maybe from like the south from like the south southern coast of New England up to Maine, that would be about two and a half hours. Yeah, like you like go that. through Rhode Island, and then you go through Massachusetts, and you get into Maine. That's right. That's what you mean. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's like maybe like maybe like is far up and down is like Pennsylvania or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know why. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always been in California, so it's like not quite as big as California is wide. And definitely not as big as California is long. I think yeah. not, even, not even India is that tall. <laughs> or maybe it, it is oh, just okay. about exactly that tall. California is I'm going to have to look up like how big India is compared to the U.S. now. Just yeah. to get an idea. Like, it fits in it. Like I don't think it's quite as big as the U.S., but it's bigger than Texas. Like it's it's like a, a sizable chunk of the middle of yeah. the U.S. It would yeah. take up, I think. Interesting. Yeah. So seventy thousand wild dogs in gold, and mm. and now they they're less of a threat. Yeah, yeah. With a car, they're less of a threat because what uh, we hadn't really done a lot of like we were getting up to two kilometers per day, four kilometers per day, six kilometers per day walking, and then mm -hmm. you know starting you know like just about every time we were out walking, there'd be at least one weird confrontation with a group of dogs, you know. And so, um, so yeah, it's like what you do determines what you experience. Because we never, when we were living in North Goa two years ago, we didn't feel like there was a dog problem there. So at first mm. we were like, well, we've got to move to North Goa. South Goa's got a big dog problem. And so uh, we'll move to North Goa where we never had a dog problem. But we also weren't walking like at all. We definitely mm. weren't walking six kilometers a day, you know, and um and so we went and stayed in North Goa for a while and a dog like full on like ran and almost, you know, like, like ran across the street right at me. Going, and I was like, mm -hmm. that was terrifying. Like, usually I'm mm -hmm. not, I, I'm the one being like, oh, don't be scared of dogs, you know, but like then mm -hmm. that dog jarred me. And then I st started to search and I'm like, oh the place here where we're staying right now in North Goa, we were staying in Airbnb, like this is where the most problems are with straight dogs, oh, it turns okay. out. And so then we decided, oh, well, let's not move to North Goa, then let's just get a car. And mm. so then getting the driver's license became the priority. So hence, that's where I am getting here. Wow. And, um, and then we're going to try to get that last ID card so I can open a normal bank account. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. And then we're going to okay. see her aunt uh, the day after, and then hopefully get on a plane and get out of this smog cloud urban village, <laughs> get back down to my paradise, you know, to the tropical beaches. I am mm. so looking forward to putting my feet in the ocean again. I, mm. it, you get mm. spoiled when you live down there, when you live in a place where there's a, where there's a beach, you know? Oh, where yeah. You, where you can just walk to the beach and just, like, just go there all the, the time. Ocean. And yeah, now, but now, yeah. now there's, I can feel the thousands of kilometers on all sides of me in which there is no ocean. Mm. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> Every breath is smoke instead of, uh, it's humid down there. And so one thing that's been nice is I'm not even, I hope people aren't totally bored by, you know, this rambling, but, um, but yeah, like I, when I, when I'm in Goa for a long time, it never gets cold. That's the thing. Middle of the night, it's a bit warm. Uh, during the day, in the in the warmer months, it's it's pretty warm. But it's in in Delhi, it gets up to like 124. Down there, yeah. you get up to 95 and very humid, which is like a lot, you know. 95 I mean, that's still a lot. Like, that's still very hot. Yeah, yeah but it's not not 120. Not 120. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but then it has like three months of continuous rain every year, and we love that. 
Like I, mm. I tell some people that and they're like, oh, how awful. And it's like, that's why we moved there. <laughs> we, we moved there for the three months of continuous rain. Cause like you just sit there, look out, see nothing but green and rain and hear the thunder for three months. Like that's like, this is paradise. This is literally paradise. And as I was talking to someone who's, who's from there, a friend of mine there, um, about how ridiculous it is that people like aspire to get a job in Dubai, people from Goa. And I'm like, how backwards are things that people who were born and raised in the narrow strip of the planet Earth that has the most like ideal environment for life itself, the tropical, yeah. the tropical regions of the planet Earth are more precious than anything else in the universe, as far as we can tell. Far more precious than diamonds, gold, platinum, or anything. And uh, and 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 just so rare, such a such a you know, and people want to go to Dubai, <laughs> where <laughs> where no human, nothing but a scorpion, would choose to live there, except for the fact that they built this like concrete Las Vegasy, you know, kitsy like wealth thing, you know, with oil. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. basically the same idea as Las Vegas. Bugsy driving through the desert and having a vision. Did you ever see Bugsy? I love that scene. Uh, a long time ago. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. He's just far. driving through the desert and thinking about, oh, this in this state, prostitution and gambling is legal. And he's like, oh, how about that? And then he's like driving through the desert and he just stops the car and gets out of the car and starts walking out into the sand. And the people think he's gone mad, but he's seeing Las Vegas in his mind. He's <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're going to build a casino right here where I'm standing. And they're like, are you off your meds, dude? <laughs> he was right. But that's the same thing as Dubai. It's like, oh, there's nothing here. Nobody's ever wanted to live here because it's it's completely inhospitable to living organisms. So it's the perfect place to build our, you know, our, our fake paradise, you know. But yeah, I mean, um, um, I used to live in Phoenix and Phoenix is uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of the same way. Right? in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like, well, people like, obviously like people can't live in Phoenix without air conditioning because right. it's so hot. But then the other thing about Phoenix is that for the longest time, like it was, it was still like not a lot of people lived there because you just couldn't, all the food had to be imported. Right. Because it mm. was a desert. Right. Mm. So what they did was they um, so part of the part of the reason why Phoenix works sort of is because you have air conditioning. But then the other reason is because you can get local produce. And the way that you get local produce is they went out to the deserts and they were like, these deserts are terribly arid and dry. But the reason why nothing grows is because the soil itself is so poor, right? Mm. So what they did was they um, they radically altered the chemistry of the soil itself. Mm. Um, doing very, like, very, just very, like, chemically speaking, extremely toxic things, right? Mm. But but the net result was that the soil was, um, it went from, like, sand to, like, enriched soil. And mm. so they were able to grow crops. And so that's why, that's why, like, Phoenix is a thing now. So, like, human beings have, like, gotten good at, like, going to new and going to, like, desert environments and being like, okay, this yeah. is going to be, a, this is going to be, like, a terrible place to live, 
but it will mm. be possible to do that. And so it's well so named now. then in that case, Phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> oh yeah, it literally rose from the ashes. Yeah, yeah. chemical ashes. <laughs> oh my god. Like now people uh, will live here. They will speaking be remnant, of, speaking of Dubai, I just my uh my sister-in-law, someone went to Dubai and you know, people, I don't know, people get crazy about Dubai. They're like, hey, have you been to Dubai? I'm like, I've been to the airport. They're like, oh, mm. that's it. I'm like, yeah, it's not on my list. Not anywhere on my list. It's not even not toward the top of my list. It's just not on the list of places I want to go. But yeah, this is, I guess, the tallest building in the world now. So like any, oh, yeah. any yeah. tall building, you have to have a gold uh, statue of it that people can buy in the gift shop. I don't aspire to go to Dubai either. Yeah, it looks you know like a very funny? painful dildo. Was, uh, <laughs> my first impression was like. <laughs> anyway, not sorry, just a dildo, but a very painful one. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you built a skyscraper that was not a painful dildo. An unwelcome <laughs> experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doctor. like I don't particularly aspire to go I mean it's not that I don't aspire to go anywhere it's that like like I don't have like I'm not like well if I could just go to this one place everything would be amazing right be different but if somebody handed you a plane ticket uh, with a blank check you know blank check version of a, a plane ticket like here's the plane mm. ticket it'll take you anywhere and uh, here's a week off work then uh, what's the first place that you would write on it? That I would go to India and visit you. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'd show you all the best spots. <laughs> I know you would. That's part of why yeah. I would go. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen all of it, obviously. I don't think in a lifetime a person could see all, all of India. But, uh, but I, I, I definitely have seen some of the, some of the real highlights. You've um, seen some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. if you ever she, come to she really wants she wants to go to Scotland and England. It's interesting oh, okay. how 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 things, you know, depending on where you're where you're orient where you're from or you know, where you're at in the world, like something will seem like the most far off interesting exotic mm -hmm. thing that you could possibly mm -hmm. see. And so for her that's Scotland is okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. From, from um, Scotland has a uh it's called every it might be a biennial thing i'm not sure but it's in august a fringe festival takes place mm. where there's all these like where it, it's it's like a world thing like like all these different um acting all these different actors and all these different acting troops they all mm. go to scotland and they have the fringe festival so what you can what you can do during that during the fringe festival is like there's like many plays going on 24 7 all the time and so you can go and just like you you'll be in one play or another for like seven days or something like that wow, or like eight days like you can just go and go and go so you can like go all day and then like stop for dinner watch one more and then <laughs> and then go to sleep and my wife has yeah. done this she's done this before how cool and I, I, and like when I heard about it, because like, because I'm not really much of a play person. Mm. Um, like I'll, I'll, I'll go, but like I, um, I have, I don't want to call them standards, but I have like, 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 
Like there are some things they don't do anymore. Like one thing mm -hmm. is if I can help it, I, the only musicals I go to are musicals where I know somebody personally involved in the musical. Right. Then I'm like, right. okay, well, I want to support this person. And I want to see the creative work that they've done. And so I'm going to yeah. go to that. Right. But I don't just like go to musicals. <laughs> and then like, and then the other thing I don't do is my wife and I are both the same way about this. We don't go to plays that are more than two hours long. We're like, at some at some point, this goes from being entertained to being like part of the entertainment, like just by <laughs> the sheer torture of sitting there for more than yeah, two hours. Yeah, no, yeah. So no, we don't do it. So, mm. but there, but I could totally, and I think I feel like you could do this too. Like, like if there was a French festival there's like this endurance athlete part of it right where like you're just you're going and because like when you do something for more than like do it for less than if you do it for less than two hours then it's fun if you do it for more than two less than six then it's torture if you do it for more than six then it becomes something else like you yeah. get, you get, you get yeah. beyond the torture yeah, now, yeah. Like, like that torture period the torture is like you opening up and like and getting rid of all your like life crap right yeah and yeah for so six hours you're like you're like i'm learning new things about myself and you're <laughs> things because you tortured the daily life out of yourself yeah back in the early 90s my mom and i we used to be pretty naughty in certain, uh, we, we went to an AMC 14 and, uh, I got, got a matinee ticket at 11 AM and, oh, okay. you know, just kind of like, you know, left the movie theater, went to the washroom, went into a different movie theater, you mm -hmm. know, like bought some popcorn, take the jacket off, change the hat, you know, like check so people don't notice and, uh, you know, refill the popcorn, go here, go there. We did that until like 1.30 in the morning. Wow. So like, like 13 and a half hours of movies. And some of them, I think I saw Jurassic Park two and a half times that day. And mm. uh, I remember distinctly at, at a certain point, leaving, getting up, leaving the theater, walking toward the bathroom, going to the bathroom, leaving the bathroom, washing my hands, walking down the hall and remembering that I'm a guy named Edward at a movie theater. <laughs> that it was all automatic, like going to the bathroom, washing my hands. That was autopilot. And then suddenly, suddenly it occurred to me, oh, I, I exist. I am a person. This is now, I'm at a movie theater. <laughs> that's fun i think i think it would be really fun to go to like a movie festival or, or like a film festival or like a play festival yeah, or yeah with yeah. like with like a, a group of other people um i yeah. think uh those those uh, uh music festivals i think there's a, that similar effect especially because there's often like substances involved too so i'm sure people get mm -hmm. into an al alternate space where they go see this band and go see that band walking across some big field and you know like crowds of people and lights and you know noise and everything kind of forgetting forgetting who they are and all that mm -hmm. i think maybe that's part of the point of festivals right yeah I, not... I i went to one a Lollapalooza two and it happened oh, to be okay. the, 
the, the morning after, the night before I went was the first time I had ever smoked weed. I think that was September of 1994. Wow. <laughs> like a month and a half before I joined the Golden Dawn. It's <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> fun. That's funny. Hey, um, I just I just thought of a fun question. I guess we've been at yeah. it for a couple hours now. Um, I just thought of a fun question. This is a question that I was just asking somebody else this morning. Um, okay, so so our particular our particular version of the Golden Dawn brought us mm -hmm. uh, very it brought us through thick and thin, and it brought us to the Adeptus Minor grade, right? And then. But then from there, the grades get, um, I heard somebody once said this to me and it's really, it's really apt. I think the grades get more administrative, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you're an adeptus major because you're, you, can, you, you habitually chair because you sit in that chair and you habitually instruct adeptus minore, minore mm -hmm. and the, and the other grade. Right, so you're kind of a de facto adeptus major, but there's no formal adeptus major grade that I know of. For right. for, for us, there wasn't. For yeah. us, there wasn't. Right, right, right. So, if you wanted to become an adeptus major, what would you do? Well, apparently, in Cicero's order, there are very simple, direct to the point ceremonies that they go through for six equals five and seven equals four. And mm -hmm. in, in the, the, uh, the, the Zalewski lineage, they have mm -hmm. some very flowery, very ornate, very interesting um, initiations that they go through for the six equals five and the seven equals four. Um, but yeah, as far as my experience of it, like at a certain point, like Ramsey would be told that he's a six equals five now, just by virtue of like one of the third order whispered it in Robert's ear late at night or something. Um, I don't know. Maybe they did some like, you know, improvised ceremony or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I always kind of, I never, gosh, I was such a good boy, you know, like I didn't ask questions that I felt were inappropriate to ask, you know, so I never even asked anyone like, so how do I get up to six equals five? You know, like I, I or in, even in the most polite possible way of phrasing that I never, I never, that question never crossed my, uh, my lips, you know, um, mm -hmm. but, but I, I think at a certain point, I started to feel like there was a gibberish energy that I was experiencing mm -hmm. that my, my solar, oh, I am in the center of the tree, you know, like, kind of set in and then um you know i mean i went through processes but then after a period when i when i started to feel like this wrathful like wanting to defend the order from the chief of the order you know kind of energy um <laughs> and and then i i kind of felt like i had naturally drifted into a six equals five current and then um you know, later, or I guess even more recently, there's some part of me, you know, that like, you know, it's like, I don't want to sound like I'm not humble, but there's some part of me that feels like by, um, you know, like leaving it all behind, 
let someone else be the angry six equals five who's trying to cleanse the order and I'm going to go to India and wear a lot of blue, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've drifted up into seven equals four. It, yeah. I mean, at a, at a, when I left, I was premonstrator. So as far as administratively, I was the seven equals four in the, in the, in the formula of the, the Z formula. Mm. Um, the, 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 the imperator represents six equals five. The, the uh, cancellarius five equals six, as well as the hierophant and the past hierophant, obviously, and then the premonstrator is the seven equals four. Um, mm -hmm. But then our approach was always that when it comes to the beyond the veil, um, that whatever we present is different from what's really going on behind the scenes. And, um, but then there was a point where what was going on behind the scenes was different from what was really going on behind the scenes. And then it was like really weird where, uh, you know, at one point in 2009, you know, RZ had been so naughty that he, in order to keep the family together, in order to keep the order from falling apart said, I'm no longer going to be the chief. And everybody was like, okay, I'm listening. Where are you going to fuck off to? You're going to never be in touch with any of the outer order. And he's like, well, we'll talk about that. You know, like you're not going to be selling them shit or molesting them or threatening black magic on them or any of that stuff that you've been doing. Um, he's like, well, let's just say I'm not going to be the chief. I'm going to be an advisor, uh, like a former chief advisor to the new chiefs. You five are going to be the chiefs. And then, um, but then he got a girlfriend. <laughs> And then, and she was like, wow, you're the head of your own order. And he's like, yes, I uh, used to be the chief and now I'm the Supreme Magus. <laughs> and uh, so, so the, the, the Supreme Magus office was created and it was the office of the nine equals two. And uh, oh. he, he had me go get a silver yarmulke for him for his new gray and silver themed uh, uniform that was the, the Lord over the chiefs. And uh, of course, you know, a lot of people weren't having that. And uh, after a couple of years, three of the five chiefs that he had appointed left and started a new order, leaving me and the, the other chief, Ramsey. And uh, so I started to think, okay, if these chiefs have the freedom to go start another order, then surely I have the freedom to say that the, the classes at my house are open to the people who left and for people who stayed behind. So I did that. And, uh, you know, and then the other chief of the Temple of Isis was like, uh, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that anyway, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And then uh, nobody came because everybody hated all the people on the other side. So I was like, well, I'm going to open my classes up to the public. And so I did that. And I was like, and I'm going to take my curtains down. And I did that. And uh, and then at a certain point, he, he had had enough. And he was like, okay, uh, we had stopped having our Sunday meetings, mandatory Sunday meetings. And he was like, we're going to reinstitute the mandatory Sunday meetings. I'm like, oh, cool. Have fun. I won't be there. You know, like I... Uh, I got a taste of freedom and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna let the word mandatory become a part of my vocabulary again, as far as my schedule, my mm. weekly schedule, you know? And he was like, well, you are the second most senior person in the order, you have to set an example. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a real problem you have. Glad I don't have that problem, you know? Cause anyway, I'm not gonna be there. And so then he was like, well, do you wanna leave? And I was like, 
I can leave. <laughs> and <there> was, <laughs> the lights. <gasps> There's the exit, you know. And so I was like, did this gave gave a speech at the equinox and took off my my perimetrator robe and you know, and it was just such a lovely experience and probably the most cordial exit of any adept in any Golden Dawn order in all mm. of history mm -hmm. for, for anybody mm -hmm. who's like who who quit being you know just a hundred percent left. Anyway, the. I don't know how I got telling that story. I know I've told that story at least three times on here. So the regular listeners yeah. might be like, oh, yeah. he's doing this again. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, as far as as far as those those grades, um, uh, Eric V. Cisco in um, episode 120, uh, we talked a little bit about that. And he he talked about that those uh, those rituals do exist in the Cicero order. And mm -hmm. um and and the, the, Pat Zalewski published the ones that he uses. Mm -hmm. Maybe he put some veils in it. I don't know. Um, but they, they used to be hand like like uh, he printed them at Kinkos with the the, the the binding and then mailed them to you from New Zealand. Um, but I don't know if they're more formally published now. Um, but probably RC knows better than that there than me about that. Mm -hmm. I think he's been through the six equals five in uh, mm -hmm. in, in um, Martin's uh, temple over in Eastern Canada, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I think for us, it's it's just a matter of personal alchemy and um, mm -hmm. just like that. <laughs> Very interesting. So yeah. um, so you had remember you had an idea. I did. Oh, I, I actually, I actually sent that, uh, but nobody seems to be taking us up on it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, oh well. I, I, what we're talking about is that. Oh, nobody even saw it. Zero people <laughs> have have seen the post. Um. Well, maybe as a. Oh, uh, one person clicked like on it, but she has to wait until she retires from her government job before she can be on my podcast. Um, okay. She's the only person. Should I open it up more publicly to... Uh, have to retire from her government job? Well, she she has a job where she, she doesn't want them to know that she does weird shit, basically. Oh, okay. That's but cool. Then, but she will retire... And she will come on the Esoteric Nerd podcast. So I'm going to post this on my regular BT, um, but I'm going to take out the part of the August and Elite Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> you're part and, of this. Uh, there's a Facebook this. group called Esoteric Nerd. If you're not on it, search for Esoteric Nerd. It's different from the Facebook page called the Esoteric Nerd podcast. If you want to be in the elite and August group, um, otherwise, that's what we're talking about. So now I'm posting it on the main. Now we might get just any old weirdo. Great. We could just get the weirdest person. Sounds and, great. you know, we'll just, yeah, we'll talk for another 10 minutes and, and see if anybody takes us up on our offer. Um, okay. If you're reading this, that means Josephinsky and I are currently this very moment recording a Saturnian episode 130 on a Zoom video call. The moment we finish 
I'll be deleting this post. I thought it would be fun to open up the latter part of the conversation. Any surprise guest who wants to jump in randomly and say hi, that means you potentially, it's up to you. So if you want, you're cordially invited to join the conversation by clicking here. And hopefully that link works. So uh, was there anything about the Arbitel that we haven't covered? Oh, um, oh yeah. The, the, um, the guy that I thought was cool that, that the, um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the contemporary uh, Italian person, guy. Yeah. The Italian guy. Right. So it says it is a canon that everyone know his own angel and that he obey him according to the word of God and let him beware of the snares of the evil angel. Yes. He, lest he become, be involved in the calamities of Brute and Marcus Antonius. Right. By the way, the thing that they're talking about there is um, they're talking about uh, classical Roman history, where right. where Brutus was the guy who uh, who organized the people that killed Caesar, right? But and then Mark Anthony tried to try to go up against Julius Caesar too. So the yeah, author of uh, Arbitel loves Julius Caesar's ass. And yes. the empire yes. itself as a concept. They, I think yeah. it was the Holy Roman Empire back then, wasn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't Switzerland have been, I don't know, my so, history okay, geography. Okay. So, uh, or they called them, it was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire, but that was what they called themselves or something. Right. So here's Joe's 62nd description of thousands of years of history. Uh, so the, <laughs> you got classical Rome. Right. Right. Well, okay. Okay. So the Greeks come along to somewhere in Italy and they're like, this place is cool. And so they start a Greek colony, right? And then they start a couple more Greek colonies. Well, eventually that kind of sort of becomes the classical Roman, uh, classical Roman empire. Right. Right. And at first just in Italy and then it spreads throughout the throughout Europe. Right. And then it's just mm. this European empire. Right. Mm. So eventually that European empire like sort of falls apart, but it doesn't, but it doesn't, it doesn't go away. There's just, a, there's a the schism, right, there's a schism. Right. And then part of, part of the empire is like, becomes uh, the Byzantine. part of the empire becomes the Byzantine empire. The Byzantine empire is the Eastern Roman empire. So it's the mm -hmm. continuation of the Eastern Roman empire. And yes, over time, it starts to take on the traditions of Byzantium, but it is the Roman Empire, so it's just mm -hmm. a continuation, right? And then yeah. that just keeps going and going and going until Ottoman. I don't know. When, when was yeah, the, the Ottomans, Ottomans eventually come in? They're like, we're going to make this the Ottoman Empire now, but like, yeah. but it's just a rebranding. It's just this right. rebranding over and over again of some form yeah. or another. Well, the Holy Roman Empire is the um um. It's basically the it's it's a continuation of like sort of the Western Roman Empire, right? Um, but based in Austria, uh, right? But ba well, based based ba in Germany Vienna or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Germany and Austria is like where where right. they continue. But the idea of the Holy Roman Empire was to just keep up the Roman Empire. Um, yeah. So that's right. That's the so it's, it's just yeah. been this like it's been this like brand of european civilization it's or... i guess it's like from from an american perspective we don't like king george 
we prefer mm -hmm. George Washington. And you know what I mean? It's the most basic imprint of our national identity is uh, mm -hmm. revolution, is throw off the king, no tyrants, um, which Look is actually, yeah. which is the old school Roman, uh, you know, so it's a big wheel, you know, went around one big cycle because before Julius Caesar, that was the Roman ethic was right. no kings, no tyrants. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, we're a representative democracy here, you know, which is why Brutus stabbed empires. Caesar in the first place. Right. And so I'm on the side of Brutus, you know, like as an American, you know, I don't think Shakespeare was, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was meant to, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the play, but it, it seems like Brutus was uh, was meant to be a villain character in, mm -hmm. uh, in the in Shakespeare's telling of it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh yeah, so so when I when when Ides of March rolls around, you know, people people joke about it and post, you know, ranch dressing or Caesar dressing with the knife in it and all that. But nobody's talking about uh, nobody's putting Brutus next to uh, next to Judas, you know. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And at so, least no, so no Americans aren't anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so there's they, still some um, imperialists and uh, monar monarchists and. In, in in Europe and even in the US, you know, that, that would probably uh, be like, oh, that guy, he shouldn't have killed Julius Caesar. That was me. Right. And and I think I think that list includes like the 16th century author of the Arbitale, right? Right. Exactly. To an extent. Yeah. Because he's like <laughs> yeah. because like because he takes uh there's <laughs> a legend associated with Brutus that like like as he was dying, like the the um the evil spirits associated with the heinous acts that he had performed came to visit him again. Mm, mm. Like this idea like when that, traditional golden donors talk about Crowley dying. <laughs> oh, what a fool right, I've been. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've done terrible things. <laughs> Look at the terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Let him beware of the snares of the evil angel. Apparently, this evil angel guided Brutus to do terrible things. And but then the my point is that that the Arbitel says to this, to this refer the book of Jovianus Pontanus of ah, Fortune. Jovianus Pontanus of Fortune. Okay. Uh, uh, so 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 Jovius Pontanus wrote a book on fortune. Okay. Uh, and that's so we should find that. So we I should find that. So there's two books that it refers to. It says to this refer the book of Julius Pontanus of Fortune and his Eutychus. So there's two books. There's the Book of Fortune and the Book of Eutychus. Not, mm. not like biblical books, but those are what they're called. Like on Eutychus and on Fortune. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that would, I would think, see, but it's interesting because I'm not sure what it's referring to. So it says, so it goes, it is a canon that everyone know his own angel. And then a little bit later, it says, to this refer the book of Pontanus, right? Mm. I'm not sure if Pontanus's book is about knowing your own angel or if it's about the calamities of Brutus. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's, it's uh, vague. Yeah. No, so, no but, but it would like be really cool to, to check out mm -hmm. this Pontanus character's books to find out what he's talking about, yeah, what the Arbitel is. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I was thinking I could, uh, or just while we're waiting to see if anybody takes us up on our invitation. Um, here's uh, the, the Saturn aphorism, well, my notes, the Saturn aphorism of the Saturn septenary is all about secrets, keep secrets, you know, like uh, that when the spirit, especially yeah. when the spirit tells you to keep a secret. And then Jupiter aphorism of Jupiter septenary, uh, it talks about uh, the different types of wisdom where there's the wisdom of God up at the top, the wisdom of the angels, the wisdom of man, the wisdom of the pygmies. Now, <laughs> I'm not sure what uh, they were referring to in uh, 16th century Sweden there, but uh, I just, I'll keep reading. And then, so then Mars of Mars was uh, that the servants of each spirit will, will obey and, and uh, do great things, even as Joshua was able to make the sun stand still in heaven, which uh, will remind any philosophers of, uh, I mean, unless the Hierophant just phoned in their performance of the tower portion, mm -hmm. I, uh, that is the most tragic thing that can ever take place in a Golden Dawn order is when the Hierophant phones in the uh the tower card portion of the philosophy's initiation you oh, are yeah. supposed to traumatize that poor child <laughs> you're supposed to make them cry and leave the order afterward that's how you do a tower card portion of a philosophy's initiation <laughs> <laughs> thou didst thrash the heathen in thine anger <laughs> not thou didst thrash the heathen in thine anger <laughs> like, oh. i mean just like just like generally speaking like like a a burnt out hierophant is like a really tragic thing right right yeah where where because they're supposed to be the initiator right and yet and yet they're like standing outside like Reading smoking a, a cigarette yeah drink. well i did that but i also did a good job with my performance <laughs> oh okay okay yeah <laughs> then i'd go out and have a cigarette afterwards yeah. <laughs> So, so, when and I we put tobacco in the incense for the tower card portion. Right. So when we do and cayenne pepper, when yeah. we do the unthinkable and we like start another initiatory society, like <laughs> the one thing you got to do is take care of your hierophants, take care of the people that are supposed to be initiating these people because yeah. they're the ones that are gonna, they're the ones that are gonna get it done, right? And if I they're mean, happy. Then the rest of the order is happy if they're unhappy. The tragedy, yeah. I mean, because the problem was like sometimes there you'd choose the hierophant for the for the initiates. It's like, oh, this hierophant is going to be really good for those initiates and for those mm. initiations. But other times, it's well, every adept at some point in their journey, as part of their process, has to be hierophant. So even though this person is lacking in these you know uh, aspects of uh, personality you know um you all have to do it they are gonna have you to have do it for six months so that's six you months of going to go. initiations and somebody reading pro call pro call este profani you know like or whatever <laughs> just kind of like why why <laughs> why why any of this why yeah, I and then all the only being like in an abyss of darkness and per an abyss of darkness, hence I came forth. So, okay, yeah, those aren't the words, her. and <laughs> not the <laughs> emphasis. Thank you. you realize the neophytes right there. This is the actual performance. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, real quick, Mercury of Mercury uh, is, uh, uh, where is it? Um, uh, keeps keep secret what the spirits say to keep secret. Is that, no, that's Mercury of Mars. Uh, Venus of Venus, no idol worship. All right, mm -hmm. that's fair enough. You know, when you're worshiping something that's not God, it's like this statue, oh, this cow is really... <laughs> Uh, Look shiny, at the yams on that cow. Shiny statue of a cow. Oh, oh. <laughs> Get my food and incense out. Of course, I'm in the land of idol worship, so that's fine. But, you know, it's just, it's what you do. It's like, oh, there's a statue of a cow. Anybody got any milk I can rub on the phallus next to it? Well, that's the thing. That's I mean, like, you. <laughs> you have to, like, like, I don't know. To me, anyway, like, you can't take any of this too seriously. Right. Um, you know, because like, okay, yes, it's a 16th century grimoire, but just keep in mind that it was written probably like, it was written somewhere somewhere in Europe in a very like narrow, structured way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And like before you had all of this, you know, like before you had all of this Christianity, before you had... You had, you had, you know, if you if you want to go this direction, like you had the Greeks, right? And right. as soon as you get to the Greeks, then you start to get into idol worship again. And then the the whole the whole idea of spiritism is something that supports all of humanity, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so, like, and so, like, you just can't. I don't know. You can't condemn any of this stuff as as severely as Christianity often does, because, mm. like, dude, we don't live in a world of Christian supremacy anymore, and we don't want right. to. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's yeah, just Moses, me. Moses smashed the golden calf in the in the you know, but now people judge the folks that from one branch of the traditions of Moses go around in today's day and age smashing idols. Mm. It's considered rude, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they're coming from kind of the same teachings that our man who wrote the Arbitel is. Yeah. Which is the teachings of uh, of the Abrahamic faiths. Yep. Yeah. No idols. I guess what I'm, what I'm what I'm saying what I'm saying is you people who live in the year four thousand. Right. Don't just go around smashing golden calves. Um, yeah, unless by smashing you mean smashing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then uh, make sure that the golden calf is of uh, the age of consent. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> All right, I guess uh, maybe we can leave it at that. Unless yeah, that's you have a good it. Idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> excuse me all right i'll delete the uh invitation nobody took us up on it maybe next it's time okay. we'll okay. do we'll we'll make this a habit the ne next time we talk at a certain point i'll post a similar link yeah nobody wanted to be a surprise guest that's probably a good thing probably who knows what we were getting into right <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well thank you thank you very much for, absolutely uh, this was a fun for, discussion 
This was a, a fun, fun topic. And thank you, Rishikesh ten eighty six, or uh, for the for the question for prompting this uh, discussion and this episode. Rishikesh, I hope to one day have you as a surprise guest. Yes. On, I don't know some podcast that Marcus. This or my or a planned guest. Come on and be a guest. Or, yes, that's uh, a good idea. That's a great fun. idea. Yeah. All right. Okay, All right. brother. I'll uh, All right. I'll talk to you soon. We'll be in touch. Yeah. Much love. I'll see you. I'll 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 see you in the in the online spaces. Yeah, for sure. All the time. Absolutely. All right. All right. See you later. Peace. Namaste. LVX. How did that go? Oh, never mind. Right. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. I ah uh, yes ah, yes yeah. I do yes I do all right see you Re later revealing revealing inner order secrets okay I do remember see you all right <laughs> okay good night. Thank you, Joe Zabinski, for being my guest co-host. Such labels are for mercurialists, am I right? I am really, am I right? Anyway, uh, special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofuku Inn on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. There's also the introductory music to this and every other Esoteric Nerd episode. Special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the harp intro and outro to the conversation itself. And most importantly, Special thanks to you, the Esoteric Nerd, listening to this podcast. Don't forget to smash that like button, if you know what I mean, and I will see you next time.